This is The 20 with DJ Spider, presented by BeatSource. What is up, everyone? Thank you for being here. Welcome to the party. We are together again, another episode. You are now tuned in to The 20 Podcast, and I am your host, DJ Spider. DJ Spider! Right, thank you very much. As always, this show is brought to you by BeatSource, the music streaming service for DJs that play everything. BeatSource has got all the music you could need for every gig, along with expertly curated playlists, songs no other record pools have, custom edits, and link technology, which is available on Beatport and BeatSource, which allows you to DJ from the cloud online or offline it is incredible i use it personally i'm telling you the truth i love it it's the future so uh log on to beatsource.com and get your free 30-day trial or use our code the 20 to get a free 60-day trial so enjoy it let me know what you think hit me on instagram at dj spider on instagram i really appreciate all the messages i get from you guys you support the the podcast you support my live shows you're always coming out there so i can't tell you how much i appreciate all the messages keep them coming at dj spider on instagram love you guys uh also make sure you rate and review the podcast on apple so we climb the charts give us some thumbs up on youtube we're available everywhere so if you're watching us on youtube you could listen on apple or spotify wherever you get your podcast or vice versa um so check that out all my beat sorcerers thank you for the support over the past three years and now without further ado let's get into it you guys today is the day the big day the massive day we are bringing you one of our biggest episodes yet i'm so excited to share this with you uh we have two of dance music's most influential artists in the genre's history um fight me if you don't believe me Despite being in the scene for over two decades, these two artists are as relevant as ever, and they've launched a new group earlier this year called KX5. They also have a massive show coming up at the LA Coliseum on December 10th. So, you know, I just gave you the info. You know who it is. Recording this rare joint interview with Cascade and Deadmau5, along with Beatport and BeatSource founder Jonas Temple, was no small task. Okay, you guys, I'm giving you a little bit of behind the scenes before we get into it. We dealt with lack of internet, uh, on-location shooting, torrential rainstorms, power outages, equipment breakdowns, Deadmau5 getting annoyed at me, of course, uh, and so much more. Uh, maybe I'll give you a little taste. For example, uh, check out Dead Mouse's response when I ask him how much time we have to record the episode. How much time do you have? None. Just fucking hit record, man. All right. So that's just a little, uh, you know, vision into what we went through here. Um, it turned out absolutely incredible. Nothing but love for Dead Mouse, Cascade, and Jonas and everybody. I might have to play you some more deleted clips as a bonus at some point to embarrass myself and give you guys a laugh. Uh, but as any true DJ and professional would do, we made this shit happen no matter what, okay? And it was beyond worth it. I'm so happy and so excited to share it with you. Um, this is not your basic music interview, okay? We get into some of the most incredible stories things that Dead Mouse and Cascade didn't even know about each other. We discuss a range of DJ and production topics, including the best ways to learn how to produce, which I know you guys want to hear coming from these two insane legends. Uh, the definition of a great DJ set, 
Stories about their start in Vegas and how that was a massive shift in DJ culture in Las Vegas, uh, entertainment culture. A story about the biggest tip in the uh, history of DJing, which I think is maybe a world record. Check the story in there. Uh, Creating rampages on Hollywood Boulevard by DJing on the back of a truck and some insane life-changing moments. There's so many legendary stories on this episode and uh, it's over two hours. So strap in. Get ready, and please give a warm welcome to our special guests, Jonas Temple, Cascade, and Dead Mouse. Welcome to the show. It's the 20 Podcast. We got a special one for you guys today. Next to me, we got the founder, Jonas Temple in the house. Thanks for Let's having me. Thank you. you. My, my co-host Jeez, here. I got to hit that cute canned crowd applause button. Oh, we got that. We got that. Let's hit see. It. Oh, no. That was a bad one here. <laughs> Oh boy! <laughs> there price we go. is right. There it is. <laughs> we we, we, we there did it have is. some Price is Right uh, sad song. Okay, we got a little crowd here. We got a little crowd. And uh, yo, you guys, this is the most incredible episode we've ever done. We got two absolute legends in the music world here, one virtually and one in person. So make some noise for Cascade and Dead Mouse, aka KX Five. You. That's yes. right. That's good. There it is. Dude, that's I can't believe you have that cool. ready. I got it ready. I got all that's kinds slick, of stuff man. ready. I got yes, sir. Oh, I, I got Pharrell. You know, blood ale, Snoop, whatever you need. <laughs> oh, um, yo, thank you guys for being here. You know, I'm sorry I couldn't take you guys uh, wakeboarding like Austin Keen or some <laughs> insane thing. I was going to see if you wanted to skydive. I yeah, didn't man, know. Seriously, what kind of podcast is this? What? No skydiving? Come oh, on, skydiving man. comes later. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's the part two, you know, or if you wanted to like fly us around in your helicopter. Uh, yeah, we could do that. Pilot license. Yeah, we should have, have filmed this out. in the air. Because I know you guys, you know, when you first came together, you created like these incredible records that still live on within the dance music scene. People can still play to this day and still kind of get the same feeling. Um, what sparked you guys coming back together and trying to start this project? I, I don't think it was like an inspiration. Right. It was just like a product of what are you doing? I don't know. What are you doing? <laughs> right. Y- you know? Yeah. It was definitely kind of post COVID lockdown. Like, Hey, let's do something. Right. <laughs> Not a whole lot's going on right now. I got all these beats. What do you think? Yeah, what are you doing? Um, That's the most nonchalant answer ever. Like, (laughs) let me tell you how this started, because I was actually there in the beginning. Um, So Ryan and I were in Amsterdam at ADE, and we ended up after, I don't know, we went out somewhere, and we were in a hotel just having this conversation about our careers and our lives. And uh, we were with um, Stephanie. And we were talking about, like, where am I going? And you and I have been spending a lot of time together. And, and it was just this, like, I need, to, I need to get to the next level in this industry. And I literally brought up this because at Beatport, uh, Joel's music had just come on as Dead Mouse, I believe. And prior to that, it was like BSOD and... Joel, correct me if I'm wrong, but there was a couple of other little aliases that you were part part of, but they all did really well. And I just remember talking to Stephanie and saying, "I don't." Is, Stephanie's my manager at the time. Yeah, sorry, I should have put yeah, some yeah. context in there. Yeah, yeah and yeah, I, I was, was saying, say. "Yeah, sorry, I just randomly dropping names." In there. I didn't mean to do <laughs> just that. Just Stephanie walking by. 
Yeah, yeah. So, um, no, but we, I said, uh, I think you guys should try to work with Dead Mouse. And I don't know that that was the moment, but I know that was the first time that I was around you guys and we brought this up. And it was like, I don't know, very soon after that, that you guys started working together. Um, and it was just the perfect, in my mind, it was the perfect marriage of this like lyrical genius and songwriting guy and this new sound um, with these big, like plucky, like progressive sounds that was brand new. And there's very few artists artists that we've seen in 19 years of Beatport that come in with a brand new sound. Like that's pretty hard to do. And Joel did. I mean, he just showed up with a different sound and it worked. <clears throat> and I just think, you know, there was so much success to those tracks. They're they're literally like if you're going to do a classic album of this dance music, like those tracks have to be considered because they were that influential and still are. And I know you guys probably hate playing them today, but but they represent so much happiness to so many people. Like it's a big, I mean, it's kudos to you guys for writing those songs together. But I think for me, watching you guys come back together was that recreation of that initial magic. And I think the, the music that's coming out already is just very inspiring. Uh, that's just me speaking as one person, but I love it. Damn dude. I'm crying over here. What? <laughs> <laughs> that was, that's awesome. It's good to get it from a different vantage point. Because I think like write this whatever, down. Joel, hearing hearing the this story of like, yeah, I was bored and we decided to do KX five, like stop. There's more there's more I mean, than that. There's honesty in that Whoa. answer for sure. Yeah. You know? And dude, it's funny, I don't even remember. I remember us hanging out. I remember getting like kebabs later that yeah. night in Amsterdam for sure. I remember that. I don't remember the conversation. How I've told it to Joel, I think it was, it was what Faxing Berlin's what, oh eight, oh seven, oh eight, something like this, Joel? It's somewhere around there, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I heard that track. I can still listen to that track today, and I'm like, oh, man, this freaking song is so I good. wish I could so redo good. it. Dude, I love it as is. So, I know, anyway. but I wish I could just do the exact same thing, but just, you know, polish it And just it up, mix it, it again? You know, I have that yeah. over. Yeah, dude, my song, It's You, It's Me, like, honestly, like, I didn't know what a limiter was when I made the song. It's like the freaking low end is total ass. Like, every time I play it, I'm <laughs> well, just like, seriously? Good news, man. <laughs> Neither does 99% of your demographic, you know? <laughs> I mean, well, mine too, so, whatever. you know. So, Sometimes I, I it just up. goes to show that the idea is, like, you know, kind of more important than... It's a, dude, sounds. 100%. It doesn't matter. I mean, whatever. <clears throat> you can nerd out on, like, the mastering chain and all that <clears throat> stuff, and that's super fun for us, but... Really, it's the emotion that you capture in the original thing. It doesn't matter if it sounds kind of crappy. It's all right. There you go. 10-10 answer. Would ask again. Would ask again. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I just, you know, I remember that night. I guess for myself, it meant, uh, it meant a lot, you know, um, and, and, you know, seeing what's come out of that. And so I'm, I personally, I was super excited that you guys were coming back together to take another shot at this and actually more formally this time. Um, and so, you know, when we had the shot to put this together for this podcast, I mean, I, I made it a point that I was going to be here. I yeah. came over, you know, like I wanted it because again, how we started this conversation, you know, you guys are my friends and I want to see you succeed. And that's, that's the beauty of like true friends is like, you know, you kind of cheer for each other and I, and I want this to work, you know? And then when you guys announced the LA show, I was like, wow. All right. <laughs> this is a big deal. Huge. <laughs> We're not shy. No, you're not shy. 
No. But, I mean, you guys have been – you're pioneers in so many different ways, I think. And also you guys have this amazing talent, each of you, to make music that can really touch people deep inside and create this memory for them for the rest of their life. You know, And I think you do that separately and you're able to do that together. You know, So for you to come back – and be coming out with these songs. Um, yeah, I think it's really important for people. I mean, I even listened last night. I was listening to I Remember. And then I was listening to Escape. And you can hear the connection between both of them. And they both evoke this similar type of feeling. You know, especially with the, uh, Hala's vocals. You know, on the new one. But yeah, she's great. Oh, it's insane. She nailed it. Yeah, yeah, it's incredible. I was actually messing with the stems function in Serato last night and taking, you can oh, wow. isolate just the vocal and just the instrumental and I was putting them over each other nice. and like putting the pitch and it, it sounded pretty dope. <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, you guys are, you know, come from that. But also when, when he told me we were going to interview you, I thought about, you know, I've been DJing in Vegas like 15 years or so and doing these clubs and there was a time I was a resident at Trist at the Win every Friday and, e, you know, EDM, or if that's a bad word, dance music had not come into the full mainstream of the clubs yet. I think Marquee was kind of booking some people. And I remember the win was like, we're going to make this big push. We booked Cascade. They booked Dead Mouse. I mean, I think you guys were some of the first people to break that open. You know, I, I know Steve Aoki was kind of out there, but he was doing a mix, I feel like, of open format and the electro stuff in a way. I think Vice was, too. Yeah, he but played, he was, played like ten minutes of like house right. classic. But I remember like the night yeah. they booked Cascade at at Excess outside on Halloween, and it was like this huge deal, and it really changed a lot. And when Dead Mouse would come in, I mean, it changed. Like I used to play at Excess, and then they were like, "You're not playing here anymore. You know, you're going to Trist. This is a whole different thing." Did you? You? I feel like you guys kind of wanted to kill us. The dancers. I was. I was slumming out. I was slumming <laughs> at, at Empire around that time. You, right, but then there was a point where you became massive at the win, right? And you had those crazy champagne Don motherfucking Johnson guys trying to get you to play Don uh, Bon Jovi and stuff. Living on a fucking prayer, yeah. <laughs> yes. I think that's still to date the highest if paid, you don't know that the story, highest paid just DJ it. request. Oh, it's so good. I love that one. Wait, so what happened? Well, what you, you guys, what like you guys don't know is the second half of the story. I think I know the second half. So you what happened? I remember hearing it. I've heard it, but it's still good. Tell it, dude. <laughs> Have you heard the Talal Farisi half of it, Jonas? Oh, no, I haven't heard that half. Keep going. Oh, okay. So this is good. You know you know Joel Zimmerman, right? The other? Yeah, yeah, of course. Fucking Joel Zimmerman. So Not this Joel Zimmerman. Zimmerman. That's the, other Joel the Zimmerman. agent Joel okay, Zimmerman. Yes, so shares a name after, with you. After all this drama, right, Like, and, and this thing happening and the night closes, Joel's on the hook to go get this cash. Right. <laughs> or chips or whatever, because I'm not leaving Vegas without it. That's how pissed I was at the beginning of it. Right. So, right. So Joel's like sweating it out, whatever. And it turns out, and I didn't know this, right. Joel just ends up, you know, forwarding me, whatever, like about two days later when I'm at home and I'm like, oh my God, this is hilarious. I can't believe this happened. Blah, blah, blah. You know what? <laughs> I'm going to go buy two jet skis. So I went out and I bought two fucking jet skis and, um, aptly named them living and on a prayer um so, so i hit up my buddy the other day uh they're like about a week later uh talal uh, who's a toronto promoter and my partner in ink um okay i was like hey man you want to come jet skiing he's like he's and he's he's kind of like mad he's like no man and i'm like what, what? really i'm like okay that's cool 
uh, see ya. And then um, uh, called him about another week later. I was like, dude, you got to come out to the lake. Come on, let's go. Like, let's catch up. And he's like, yeah, all right. I'm like, yo, dude, I just bought these two new fucking jet skis or whatever. And he's like, I know. And I, I, I go, well, cool. Uh, neat. Um, you want He's like, it goes, I, I, I gave you the money for that. And I was like, wait, what? And I, well, then you should come out because I guess technically one of them's yours, right? So come on. So he fronted the so, money? So, yes. And Joel, <laughs> Joel had to like beg, borrow, and steal from Jesse Waits and yeah. Talal to shut me up from fucking reaming them out. They, he, they knew you weren't leaving without the cash. They, so exactly. like, just somebody pay this guy. So, so Joel's, Joel's in crippling fucking debt. I have no idea this is going on. Otherwise, I just would have went, whatever, just get it when you get it. You know what I mean? But they take that shit so seriously. And they were like oh, fucking oh. bumming for weeks trying to like basically squeeze blood out of a stone because apparently <laughs> that, that gong guy walked out on a, on a half million dollar tab. You know what oh I mean? God, it was fucking crazy! I'm like, who does that? Yeah, you know? that dude and was, was like, a legend in Vegas. Legend, oh, dude. everywhere. I so would wait, see him in Atlantic this, City. For aspiring DJs tuning into this podcast, what's the takeaway from that? You get the, the money first. Is, yeah. <laughs> then Don Johnson shows up to the club and says, "Hey, I'll give you X to play Living on a Prayer. Just fucking play it." So many weird <laughs> things are going to happen after that. <laughs> Just, just keep living on a prayer on your on your shit on your little USB. I'm saying get the cash you know? up front, man. Yeah. <laughs> keep living on you a prayer Bitcoin, on your USB. You get the cash up front. Well, now you got Venmo. You're like Don. How, how yeah, big's your limit, bro? Yeah, That's right. Venmo. Yeah. When I, I mean, get home, can, I want to see 300 subs to my OnlyFans. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. But but just to go over the beginning of the story for people that hadn't heard it, you were playing in Vegas. It was unheard of for someone to even be able to get to you on the stage, you know, and talk to you. And this guy is a big high roller. They would bring his name out with cards and it would literally say Don motherfucking Johnson, like on these cards behind him. And he got to come up to you, ask you to play living on a prayer and gave you how much money or do you not want to say? Uh, Enough. Okay, enough. A lot. Enough to buy jet skis. Enough to sway your fucking agent, manager, tour manager, and nightclub over. <laughs> right. But, but you deserved it, it at the end of the day because you're up there doing your thing and this guy's, you know, trying to control your set from thousands of people. So not really that know. but that that's worked not in my favor. Too. Where I mean right, where, my whole where he, I would I would have had that residency that Calvin had at fucking um uh at the Hakkasan for years. Big fucking contract. And lo and behold, you know, second night. Two I've only ever played there twice. I was scheduled to play there like fucking 50 times. Um second night, guy comes up in the fucking booth and starts telling me, you know, yo, I need you to X. You know what I mean? Play this, play that. Yeah. And I'm like, yo, I don't come into your office and slap the dick out of your mouth you know don't come into <laughs> mine and exactly. tell me how to find, you know and i just pulled the fader oh, down the and kids walked away. out on it <laughs> and they, an they literally podcast. ripped that contract up next day it was fucking amazing it was the biggest like i mean dean was not happy about it but why did they I rip the like, contract up because like i'm not taking just over press. petty shit like that Cause, because I wouldn't, well, that was on. early I in Vegas. I mean, well, like, yeah, no, this was the beginning. Culturally, of that of it, was yeah. a big shift right then. Now, l- listen, I think this is a really good moment 
to to right. point out the fact, like, look, Dead Mouse and I, we approach this thing very differently, right? Like, yeah, because you, you, are- you you interview a lot of open format guys, whatever that are like literally quote unquote DJs, and sure, I mean, Joel's story and I, they're different, you know, whatever. He's a Toronto dude. I was over here and. California. Right. But there is some similarity in the fact that when I go and I play and I play like a hard ticket venue, typically I'm sitting around playing songs that I wrote. Yeah. Right. That's kind of the thing. Yeah. I pepper in a few hits here and there that work within the fabric of whatever I'm weaving. Right. Stuff that I'm inspired by. And that's like the cool part of the DJ aspect of it. Yeah. But typically it's no different from like going and seeing whatever cold play they sit up there and they play their hits that's what i do or, that's or what they, Joel does when i go fucking metallica covers all night like I, I that's the one weird thing that has always escaped me uh you know trying cosplaying as a fucking dj uh because ryan you're obviously you you were a traditional fucking dj you went out there and did all that fucking hustle i wrote faxing berlin from a non-edm fucking you know standpoint like i i don't know shit about dance music i think that's actually one of the fucking huge contributing factors what kind of made me sound the way i sound i was not of that world um you weren't even approaching the production that way dude you were, you were a different mindset completely sure yeah so so maybe that maybe we can we can all say that was my big fucking saving grace for all this otherwise i just would have sound like another canned version of fucking x at the time but um you know, I, I, and I say it all the time. I've, I don't feel like I've ever DJed a night in my life, you know? So everyone's like, you know, Hey, what DJ set. And then using all this like kind of old school slash mid school DJ nomenclature in rating your quote unquote set. You know, the only thing that like right. spins in that my head is like, well, I wouldn't go to a kiss concert to hear Coldplay covers and Miley Cyrus and, you know, I, I want to hear that one song that Kiss does good. And that's so it. this is, but I'm saying from the, your audience, typically, yeah. this is like an entirely different approach. So that was Joel's approach. Mine was something similar. I just knew, because I, I was doing the DJ thing. I came up through Chicago. And the way I saw guys making impact is they were making their own tracks. And I'm like, okay, I need to get better at the studio. So cool, I learned how to produce music, whatever. Here's a drum machine, here's whatever. And I spent time and did that. Then I was like, oh, I was, initially I wasn't trying to be this artist guy. I was just like, I just need to make some cool tunes to put in my set that are uniquely mine and that will drive people to my shows. Right. Right. I was trying to get an audience. And then when I moved to San Francisco, that's really kind of when I had this epiphany, like, wow, okay, I'm confident enough in the studio. I can put an album together and I can tour behind an album like a traditional act would, not like a dance music act. I wasn't thinking that. I was thinking more the lines of stuff that I grew up seeing, whatever, The Cure, Morrissey, whatever, Depeche Mode. Yeah. You know, just like from like a, a different truly approach. an artist. Yeah. That I, so now I was like, this is, this is my opportunity to, you know, because listen, if you're out there copying everybody else, it's impossible to be unique. Like that's not going to work. Joel's key was that he approached it from like, he wasn't in that mindset. He wasn't trying to make a dance track. I was just like, Oh cool. I want to write songs. Okay, cool. I know how to like do sound design. All right, cool. I want to do songwriting. But I think the fact that we had different approaches, you know, came up differently. But I think the thing that's in common is, is, there's artistry behind that, right? And that's what made each of us unique. And people 
then wanted to attend the shows. Oh, I want to go in here and play that song, which now, whatever, 20 years later is actually, it's hard because Joe, I'm sure you have this dude. Do you finish dead? You finish red rocks and whatever you refresh Twitter like that night or the next morning and some guys I, on there. Like, I am off the social media boat for five years, buddy. Okay. Well, then you don't. Did you have this five years ago? You'd refresh and be like, this freaking guy just paid a hundred bucks to see me at Red Rocks and you didn't play this one song. And I'm like, yeah, dude, because I have 10 albums, 12 albums out. Like, I can't, you know, I'm playing two hours. I can't fit it all in there, man. It's impossible. Right. Yeah. You know? I mean, you, you, you dash some current, you dash some old. And I don't know. I've, ne- I've never really been able to take the temperature of a crowd of any size and be able to tell what they like and what they don't like ever. You know what I mean? Which is a DJ thing, I think. Right. Yeah. And I mean, I think that was the difference of you guys coming into Vegas. How you were saying we probably hated you. I don't think we, I mean, I didn't, but (laughs) I'm sure some DJs did. I think DJs hated me when I first got to the win because they just had local people and they're like, who's this guy from LA? So, you know, there's different levels of it all the time. Um, But it was interesting. I, I get it. Yeah, I mean, it, but it was interesting to see people like, you know, even Avicii and people come in that really were not DJs, you know, and just were artists and had a song that everybody wanted to hear. But then also some of them trying to perform for an hour and a half and <laughs> DJ, but, you know, with You guys are over there like, oh, this dude can't even do that. Man. This is, get this guy out of here. Yeah. I mean, I well, think, you know, you, there was you know, the- it, Well, it takes years of experience in that field to be able to notice how wrong you are in that kind of thing. Um, it's like, okay, so, you know, like when I was starting out and, you know, I got to meet up and hang and, and share brains with Noisia, you know, that's one thing, you know what I mean? Because they're yeah. in this like arena, right? That they're in their own shit. When you start meeting the other kids, like, you know, Kygo and Garrick's and- Zed and stuff like that, you know, it's just, you, you, you automatically defer to the, there's really nothing special about them based on their music, which I'm (laughs) being surprised about, you know, these people like from time to time as I kind of explore them more, but that's only because I have accessibility to these things like, like Kygo. I hate, his fucking music. It, it just, it drives me crazy. It's like, it's like bed, bath, beyond lobby hotel W <laughs> shit. But, but this kid musically by himself, he's a fucking genius player. He's actually really yeah. fucking good. And, and you know, right. the kind of recourse through my head is like, why are you up there playing this dumb shit? Like, but then, but then you think about it, like, why don't you sit there and, and uh, play for the Philharmonic, you know, or whatever, you know, well, because guess what? Philharmonic sure as shit ain't going to pay you 200 fucking K a show. You know, or, <laughs> That's you know, like right weddings, That's- uh, you could be that guy at the lobby of the fucking Conrad, you know what I mean? Playing away on that piano, that kind of thing too. So, so they're, they're getting in where they're fitting in. That's right. That's Smart. the big takeaway. So yeah. I, I am really hating less of all this new shit because I, I am so tuned out of, you know, the the end product and more tuned into kind of, well, fuck whatever you're doing on stage. Cause I know what I'm doing on stage and it ain't that much fucking special to me either. So I always kind of go back and forth on this thing. And I'm just like, want to hear you're in that same vein, like dude, playing festivals sometimes is extremely painful because 
you're put alongside these people that don't really have anything to do with you. And sometimes you're put in these positions that are extremely uncomfortable. I mean, I'd much rather just play my hard ticket events, right? Where it's like I'm standing in front of a room, whether it's a thousand or 5,000 or a hundred thousand, whatever, of people that are there to hear me, you know, blend my tracks together and put on a freaking show. Right. But Mm -hmm. it's kind of like you have to go play festivals because, well, one, they pay really great and that's awesome. But I mean, this is a business that, you know, like you've got to feed a family. Um, But also... I always feel like even when I eat it sometimes and I go play these festivals, I still gain fans somehow. Somebody's out there going like, man, I've never heard this dude. This is actually kind of cool. Maybe I should give him a chance. I thought he sucked or whatever. Whatever is happening out there, I don't know. But I think, you know, how much do you hate playing festivals when I hear you say that, dude? Because you get put in these freaking sucky situations where you're playing like dubstep by far is the most fantastic sound to hear at a festival because it's so, it's like this, audio assault on your senses right. so it works and then if you're following one of those guys and i'm up there like i remember <laughs> and you're like right. man Sounds this like is the, the freaking wrong the, the, I'm the wrong let's guy, take skrillex right? on tour they said it'll be fun they said <laughs> <laughs> this is what i'm saying <laughs> yeah i know i get it <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah i, I mean i was just pointing that out because yeah think, like I think we both really enjoy doing hard ticket venues and that's cool. The Coliseum is going to be awesome because it's a bunch of Cascade and Dead Mouse fans and people that oh like KX5 and what we've done. And it's like, we don't have to pander to anybody. We could do whatever the hell we want to do. Right. Well, I think that proves. Yeah, but you know, I, 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 have, I would have a hard time quantifying that me playing in between fucking WW and fucking uh, those other weirdos, uh, you know, would kill my buzz so bad that, you know, my set would be shitty you know what I mean? I, I think I think that's just the constant, you know, is kind of what you're doing on stage. What changes is your mental attitude while you're doing it. Yes. Good point. You know? Thank you. Trying to keep healthy over so it, here, man. It, <laughs> yeah. If, I mean, if I turned around and took that same set where I'm, I'm like, uh, you know, between two fuckwits we'll say and uh, you know and i do and i rinse that same set in the boiler room you know it's it's pretty cool you know dude. and it's and it would have worked either way but it's just like i was just you know kicking rocks getting up there i'm like dude, fuck man just spider's audience can totally appreciate that because record bot <clears throat> kicks out of history right so sometimes i'm like oh man this thing this section of that set crushed last night yeah then I'll take in the next and I'm like, oh, I should go into this little freaking little three, five track, six track run where I just like had people right. like jumping out of their skin. And the next night you're like in front of your audience and they freaking they're like throwing rotten tomatoes at you. And you're like, what's the problem, man? Last night they're freaking out like you guys suck. <laughs> well, to hear you say that, well, you know, guys, how do you quantify suck? <laughs> right. You know, that's, I that's mean, what I've I always said. Exaggerating. And when I hear someone say your set was bad. Okay, great. Okay, now just do me a kindness. Quantify it. Tell tell me what was bad about it. Was it was right. it the beat it matching? I can rest assured it wasn't the beat matching because the computer is doing it for me. It's sample accurate, bang on every fucking time. So let's not go about you know how I was uh, you know yeah, it's not washing a pair of construction sure. boots. You know, right? That's a hundred percent didn't happen. You know. Um, it was like, was it your 
personal trip on some fentanyl lace shit? Like, or was it <laughs> fucking? His girlfriend uh, dropped him during your set, yeah, dude. You, you know what I mean? D- yeah. Destroyed. I, I don't his night. It, it's 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 so like I would have a hard time explaining to Kaigo what sucked about his shit. Other than I just don't listen to that kind of music. <laughs> right. So obviously, you gotta make sure we send this come podcast off the fucking to stage. I don't, you know, watching Garrick's come off the fucking stage at Veld this year, uh, you know, I had to say, dude, and mean it, that was a great fucking set. No, I didn't right. know any of those fucking songs, and some of them were pretty repetitive, and they all sounded the fucking same, but the takeaway <laughs> was, I've never seen <laughs> Toronto jump up and down like that a lot. So you came here, and you did what we paid you to do, and then some. And that's good. <laughs> you know what I mean? Nobody yeah, left. There were no holes in the crowd. So that's kind of like at the, the takeaway, right? So I don't yeah. I wouldn't say, hey man, you your beat matching skills, Martin. Let me tell you, man. I've heard some good beat matching, but that particular beat matching <laughs> Chef's Kiss, buddy. You know, like <laughs> that song selection, you know? Oh, the PS de resistance was the 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 woodblock thing. Yeah, that was great. No, man, it's just like time and place. It's it, think of a crowd like an ocean, and you're you're waiting for a good set of waves to surf on. You know what I mean? Yes. You could be out yes, on the ocean I love for this analogy. three hours, good job, dude. catch That's two perfect. fucking waves, and and your arms are fucking gonna fall off because you've been paddling all fucking day, or. You could just be out there on a nice day where it's just swell after swell after swell, and you're just back and forth up and down the fucking channel all day, you know? Love it. Yeah. But you don't I mean, control that's why the you fucking guys, ocean. You guys are both so good at wakeboarding and surfing and DJing, so <laughs> it all goes together. You're reading the waves of the crowd. But, I mean, that is exactly, you know, how we do look at it. But I do think that some of those initial, you know, just to go back to the Vegas stuff, like teaches people even like martin garrix i mean i remember when he was coming in they were escorting him in with the security because he wasn't old enough to be there that they would like escort him to the stage but i'm sure that even as artists and you guys you probably learn somewhat of how to appease a crowd better or how to surf the wave of the crowd from oh there's 100 a bottle service set and a uh dirty nightclub set you know right well uh, I mean, if you have some. Well, no, no. I was going to take this in a slightly different direction um, to come back. I think. Listen, at, the red thread that connects all of this is the DJing, right? Um, and really, take take a step back from DJing. It's really about performing or entertaining. And when I when I think about the careers of the of you know our guests today, you know, one of the things that's that's quite different in the two is that you know Ryan had this you know, kind of slow ascent in through songwriting, DJing, um, you know, basically getting on one of the most important labels at the time for that sound and really finding a home there. That label nurtured him. And then there was Joel who came from a completely different angle. Right. And and at that time, you have to really roll the clock back because it was totally different. There was like an... Uh, an ascension to those like headliner spots that went through a certain amount of people. It went through Paul Van Dyke, you know, it went through, uh, Paul Oakenfold. It went through deep dish. It, there was like an oh, wow. established, you yeah, weren't I a wonder, headliner. If you weren't any of those, those people, like, like big people. 
Right. And so then Joel shows up as Dead Mouse and doesn't wait in line. Just headliner. Right. It's like, that, I'm, I'm first in line. Yeah. I'm going to jump and skip right to the and front. And that pissed a lot of people well, off. Well, you know what's fucked up? You know what's really fucked up that it's I, I think is just absolutely unique to my story is that my first show was headlining ministry in the UK ever. Like, how fucking fucked up is that? That has always blown my mind. Were you sweating balls that night? What, 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 dude, dude I trial by fucking fire, man. I had no <laughs> you, idea what dude, I was wait, doing. Wait, wait, hold on. I what didn't was know your... a thing about fucking DJing, but I, I knew audio software, you know, and Ableton wasn't even a thing, really. So I had to, like, hack together my own, like, kind of thing because, you know, Holy uh, crap. I'm, I'm wait, were you little, on a lemur little then? Little fucking this... Mick Fanchuli is opening for me, you know? And I'm oh like, my gosh. Uh, <laughs> I he's playing records, and I'm like, I don't I, I I know how to DJ a record, but I'm not really that good at it. Like what year know, is this? My this has got to be like 2007. Right. Six. Yeah, maybe. Dude, this was that this was that era. There was a few dudes like Switch. It was, was crazy. Like that. Yeah, Switch was what like was that. your setup though? You weren't using Ableton? No, I was using I was using uh, two laptops, one connected to the analog input of a Zone 3D, and then one connected into the USB input of a Zone 3D. So Holy I had crap. to kind of like <laughs> nudge the times of that DAW with another DAW too, which worked. Right. So, well, it's almost like DJing with tape decks, dude. So, <laughs> but with laptops, I'm dying basically. to know right. how, how did it go though? Like, it, yeah. it actually worked. It went like, great. The, obviously, I, I mean, like, because that was really my make or break. Um, and you it, had it the head. At that I like point. that. I had a few. No, I, I didn't. I, have I failed that. many more times. You did not. You didn't have the head at that point. No. No, I. I was just the guy that made faxing Berlin. That's it. Right. This is amazing. I love this story. I'd never heard that. That's I awesome. A fucking, but then, like, it was, it was it pretty was soon after that that because I kind of tuned into you around then. But dude, social it was so much harder to find you. Like I was finding YouTube clips and crap, and you were you were doing the lemur thing. You were doing the touchpad, and I was like, okay, this is some freaking next level stuff. Like, what the crap is he doing here? Oh yeah, it was like touch OSC Cl- and yeah, lemur yeah. and stuff. Yeah, he's right? launching clips and stuff. I'm like, all right, this dude's on a different thing. <laughs> Well, it was all, I was very tech oriented from the get go when it came to the delivery method of the music because I just, for what I, even to this day, I, I feel really uncomfortable around CDJs just because they're really <laughs> shitty computers. You know what I mean? Like, if right. you're going to pay, pay $3,500 for a fucking CD player, bro, buy a laptop. Let me tell you, the processors and those things are way better you know, for handling audio or, you know, storing stuff and all this stuff. It, it, a, a, a CDJ is a laptop. It's, it's just doesn't have a monitor or a very shitty right. one too. It's starting you know what to I mean? have so a pretty like, big monitor. Dude, this is funny. When you walked up at <laughs> yeah, Red Rocks, yeah, it's getting he there. came up at Red Rocks. He's like, I don't know what to do with my hands. <laughs> That's oh, yeah. exactly I actually did watch it. that. <laughs> That was funny. <laughs> I didn't know what to do with my hands. Like, what do you want me to do? You want me to play just with the cut off? No, I'm like, clap. I don't know. Grant, he had one beer. I'm like, just here's him. Hold the microphone in one hand. Hold, hold that beer. beer in the other hand. There you go. Now you're doing something. Now I we can't know. imagine. Then he got on the mic. How does Swedish Hoff, House Mafia deal with that? 
I think that's where the heart hands was invented. Oh, yeah, <laughs> totally. Well, I mean, you got to like, I can imagine just like, you know, building a riser for these guys, right? Like I work at a fabrication company, let's say, and they're like, hey, yo, we need this riser. I'm like, okay. Right. Dude. Yeah, we need risers. That's good. Okay. Uh, yeah, it's got to be uh, 16 feet long. Uh, and we need uh, two empty four foot square white spaces on either side of that. I'm like, well, for what? You're going to put like. What's the weight requirement? Because I'm assuming you're putting some kind of light fixture on there. No, we stand on there. Wait, what? I was going to say, you know what the tech has allowed us to do, though? I, I don't know what? if you guys, Spider, I'm sure you've done this. I'm sure. Freed up our hands, hands to do nothing. Well, not only that, when I'm at a gig, when I'm actually <laughs> bored, I'm like, how many songs can I play in the next like 30 minutes? Sometimes I'm just like messing around with myself. Right. Like, man. I can't stand this crowd or whatever, or they're not reacting to anything. I'm like, I wonder how many songs I can play in the next 30 minutes. Like how many, like yes, how 100%. fastly can I mix? Uh, in okay, whoa, these things? Slow down, Annie Mac. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I want to hear the cascade quick mix, uh, 30 minutes, 30 you, songs. Uh, do you remember Annie Mac's like super insanely tight fucking rush hour mixes? Remember yeah, those? she bump like how many songs? Just yeah, like I mean, literally yeah. like 20 seconds of a, ah, that's even pushing it. It yeah. was like 10, 15 seconds of a song. It was just one after another, after another, after Dude, another. I'm like, which oh she was God. copying bad boy, Bill. He, he was doing that in the freaking. Oh, that's right. Chicago. Right. Yeah. With yeah, vinyl. He and he getting, was editing he was on tape. I, dude, the first time I met him, that's I'm like, his, claim to I had that's his signature move. Right. Yeah. So cool. Those guys were like, they just have stacks of records. Next I know. To the they just like, went back on tour Bill. doing that, I think. Oh, my gosh. A year Amazing. ago. It's cool. It's cool to see. That, that's yeah, incredible. Well, that, that, you don't have time to do hard hands and fucking talk on the mic. <laughs> right. Yeah. You're mixing that. Those well, dudes that's were, true. Those dudes were You don't busy. have time. So where did things go from that first show then, the ministry show? It went good, but what happened after that? I can't fucking remember, dude. I, I, it's, it's just been such a more blur. shows. Yeah, it just went more up. shows, dude. You know, like I go home and think, okay, well that worked. Right. Um, let's do right, more I of get that, it. but but maybe less sweaty next time. You know. <laughs> Did you tweak the setup for the just right from the get go? Because you're like, okay, this worked, but I can make it a little bit better because you got like real life experience. Oh yeah, yeah. With no, it. I haven't been using the same stuff like I, I switch it up almost every year but it but yeah. na- but mostly it's just hard not really so much hardware as it is software right and and protocols to communicate with said software that's just kind of where i'm at like i'm 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 sold uh and very like hard pressed to think of a way to do a show without a computer screen or an operating system like windows Which, or mac os in front of me you know right Dude, by the way this is a good opportunity to just say I think one of the cool things about getting together and we did our first show at EDC for me was like, okay, I'm, I'm approaching it from Joel's side. We're not, we're not producing our shows. We're not up there performing with CDJs. That's been, I mean, I don't know. I came up with the 1200s and then moved into right. CDJs and whatever, went through the kind of traditional formats. Um, well, guess what? We I- only have like fucking a month to even start planning this fucking thing out. So we might have to defer yeah, so to that. By the, to the- I was sweating. <laughs> DDC, quick I was sweating. I was, I was like, this is not my comfort zone at all. I'm staying in front of a touch screen with a freaking interface that was actually insanely cool that Joel had designed and put together that was freaking amazing. We, where it's all these effects and we can launch clips all 
it's wow. the only thing I can really relate it to is like it f- feels like a DJable version of Ableton. Okay, but much friendlier for me. Um, I don't know if Joe, if you did that intentionally, because you're like Ryan's dumb. I better make this really simple. <laughs> like, I'm dealing with the DJ here. I better make this the, the interface the really price simple. UI. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but. That was one of the cool things. I thought, this is cool. I've never done it. I'm up for a challenge. I don't know. I, I still like to press and, you know, try and move things forward and do things. I mean, whatever. I, Joel, I think you learned this at a different podcast we did. Like, the tour I went out on the Atmosphere tour, I opened the show singing Atmosphere. The first couple of times I did it, it sucked. It sucked because I was so nervous because I haven't sung in front of that many people ever. Right. But it was a cool experience to try something new in doing this. And, I've, you know, and by the end, I got better. <laughs> anyway, so it's a cool, I'm just saying, it's, it's cool working with Joel because we've been trying different things, putting these shows together. And I think we'll continue to do that. So for me, that's an interesting aspect of it. That's all. Yeah, but you got to be careful with that shit because that's, that's a slippery fucking slope. For me, anyway, you know, I only push it when I know in like a thousand million percent, I have some kind of redundancy layer or something that I could defer to if shit starts to go south with technology. Yeah, completely haywire. But you, I remember us hanging out. I don't know. This is a long time ago, some festival in freaking Europe or whatever, and we're hanging out and... I was like, man, I've been thinking about going to like, you know, maybe a Serato or something else. Like I'm kind of, I've done the, you know, maybe right. I should switch it up. And Joe was like, dude, do the, does it work? The Pioneer stuff work for you? Does it work? And I'm like, yeah. He's like, what are you doing? That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> why are you, you going to try to fix something that's not broken? I'm like, all right, yeah, that's a good word of advice. Thanks, Joe. He's <laughs> <That's laughs> like, all right, I don't need to do that. <laughs> right. Both you guys are very forward thinking though, I think. You know, I mean, you like, you've been doing this since pressing vinyl, like he was saying, and you've constantly adapted both of you to what is happening in the scene, you know, and I know you're off social media, dead mouse, but, uh, uh, there was a time where I feel like both of you were using social media in such a huge way where you were able to post, I think on Facebook and create a riot in Los Angeles. Um, and dead mouse was able to find an amazing singer. You know, there's some legendary video of you, finding the singer, you know, for your song on Twitter. Um, you know, do you want to... clear we didn't start the riot. What's that? We didn't start the riot. <laughs> a riot. We didn't start the fire. Oh, I mean, man. D- can you describe that story of kind of how that went down? It's like the- I'll give you the super quick version. Is, okay. I mean, Twitter was still... I was still newish to Twitter. Right. You know, it it only been around like a year or two, whatever. I had just gotten the handle Cascade. I had, I don't know, something like seven or 8,000 people following me at the time. So it didn't seem like it would be a big deal. Right. The I had, it's the first and only soundtrack where I worked as a composer. I put the soundtrack together for the EDC movie that they had done. Right. They came in and asked me and I don't know, it was a super fun experience. Very challenging. Joel, I know you've done it a few times. Like by the end of it, I was pulling out my hair. Cause I think it was something like 76 music cues. I'm like, Jeez. okay, I've been working on this for three months. Like I'm <laughs> kind of done. Like, are we done? Cause I'm done. <laughs> um, anyway, they were debuting the, uh, the movie at man's Chinese theater. And they were like, I was like, Hey, it'd be really cool. Cause man, the theater is pushed back off of 
the street, right? That sidewalk's really wide right there. Yeah. So like, what if we yeah, got a truck that played... Good venue. I'd, well, it's a, it's a movie theater, so it's like... I was like, wouldn't it be cool? I just played a, a moving truck with this massive sound system in Brazil. I'm like, what if we did something like that here right. for the movie? And I could DJ, and like, as people are walking in, it would be kind of fun and create a little bit of chaos, and yeah. it would be fun. Not chaos. I was thinking, you know, it would be controlled, whatever, because it lends itself to the theme of the movie. Yeah, anyway, exactly. they get the lane closure permit. They're like, yeah, 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 we rent this truck. They put a whole freaking sound system on the truck. As I'm driving to the truck, because I lived outside of L.A. at this point, I'm I'm actually ha- I'm dictating to Naomi. I'm like, hey, put me plus big speakers equals block party. Blah blah blah. This is where I'm going to be. You know, thinking it's going out to six, seven thousand people. Not yeah. all of them are here, based in LA. Anyway, fast forward like three, four hours. There's didn't you didn't didn't we post a picture of a door and said this is where I'll be? It was just a random door, and some kids figured it out, right? Because I was there. I don't. I'd have to go back and look. I That's just what was I think like, we did. I think I they think knew I was going to be at, at, at Man's Theater, right? right? So the word got out. The word got out, and it just proved the effectiveness of Twitter. And what happened after that? I mean, dude, we're not talking like five thousand people. We're talking like twenty-five thousand people. I still have people in LA to this day that are like, "I want to kill you because I missed my job interview that day. I missed <laughs> oh my, my plane." Like it shut a humongous part of the city down. Yeah, and I mean the footage from that. It was on yes. every news station. It, it was probably one of the greatest like seventeen minutes of my life. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm Jonas not even kidding. Oh, you know, yeah, be we were... fucking. You know, be scary though. If you were like a piece of shit fucking politician with a fucked up worldview and you had millions of followers and you did that kind of thing, that'd be scary. <laughs> well, no I don't one think would it do works that. when it's that big, right? <laughs> I think the fact that it was like back then, dance music was still very. No, it was the perfect thing. storm. It was the perfect storm. It was your popularity, st- especially in LA, was yeah. just that it's like. It was on the rise. It was the tipping point. It was cool. It was and like it a was, Friday afternoon. Yeah, being in L.A. Well, the movie they were downtown anyway because they were going to go wait, to the premiere. Wait, how many, how many people showed up, Ryan? I, I've actually never heard about this. If you look up Cascade Riot, Riot. Hollywood or something. Right, dude, on, we're, we're talking. Pro- the riot wasn't it's, anything to do. Let, let, no. Because I don't want this story this to get out of control. Right so like, yeah, no. <laughs> I'm just saying you could see we the We pulled out of the parking lot. Ryan was playing. I was in the car directly behind this. On the first block, there was probably maybe 50 kids that found us and came. Right. Because we're driving to the location. Yeah. Right. And you're following and you're DJing. You're the Pied Piper. You're yeah, like, yeah, I'm DJing on this like truck. A, it's awesome. Yeah, right. Like you literally crash. have this on your YouTube. Yeah, yeah. It's well, a, well, we put together a little video after it. Yeah, because yeah. I was like, oh, it's this a big is function one sound system. And so block two goes, and there's a few more kids. I'm going to say, I'm going to say 300. I'm just guessing here. By the third and fourth blocks, oh my God, um, right? it was out of up. control. Fuck. And the cops were pretty cool to us because they, yeah. I mean, like you said, we had the permits. Yeah. And we got to that intersection where the Roosevelt is, and those cops came out and they said, listen, we have to shut this down. And we negotiated, because I think at that point we were a block yeah. away. Dude, we're a block away. And I can yeah. see there's easily ten to 20,000 people in yes. front of Manchester. The roads closed, so they're all the way from the, in front Mind of blown. the theater. I mean, it yeah. looks like a so festival. All we needed to do is just pull up that last little bit, and probably all of this could have been avoided. But, dude, this is the thing that's just so crazy about this, talking openly about this, man. I'm like, bro. Let me pull up here. I have a huge sound system. I have a microphone. I play 30 seconds of a song and tell everyone to disperse. And right. this is done. Yeah. 
I'm not here to incite problems, cause, right, whatever. What do they do? They incited it by stopping well, you, right? Well, no, part of the problem was the guy driving to the truck's like, I'm going to jail, like freaking out. No, really. Because the cops, like, it's getting, I mean, dude, there's like four helicopters overhead. I mean, just like, <laughs> I mean, it's just. So, but, yeah, it was so out of control. I remember we went in the Roosevelt, went to our rooms, and it was on the TV. So like oh my God. we knew that like oh the it's oh. full live you know live coverage they do in LA yeah. they just yeah. cut and like oh my gosh Cascade's <laughs> supposed to be here and all these right. kids it's a riot and then they start like stomping on the cop cars because they didn't that let me pull up and then it just got completely the out of control. Well, that's out of your hands at that point. You're just trying to create a well. Fun. Not well at that point. Then the city's like Cascade is responsible for this, and the cops came to the club that night and pulled me out. They're like, no way. I didn't yeah, know oh, that. Dude, it, oh, the story got, I'm on the phone with my attorney and I'm leaving at like six in the morning or something to fly through New York to go to Ibiza. I'm oh playing my it. God. I'm playing at Pasha like in a day or two. So I'm leaving for Ibiza. My yeah. dude's like, you need to just hide out and get on the plane, dude. But the cops showed up the club, took my IDs, a whole thing. They're all waiting there, like 10 cop cars. Cause I had an, a show what, that in Ibiza? Night. No, this I show in LA. That like, night wow, that's after commitment. this thing happened. These guys rolled up and they they were like, "You're a, you're gonna pay. You're responsible for this." And I'm like, "What are you talking well, what, about? What do you, you guys want to like, let me pull I, I up?" I would be like, "Sir, what do you what do you want? Like money, right. my time? I, I what's the recourse for something that's dusted? You know, like I that. Think, that I don't know. I think they wanted me to pay for whatever." all the police overtime, the freaking damage, because a few cop cars got damaged. I mean, it, it did get out of hand for a well, minute. I mean, long after I But that left. wasn't us. I mean, not even close. Right, but they wanted to blame somebody. Yeah, yeah. they wanted... That's it, it was actually them. And Right, of course. You know, I, had a, I had a similar situation in L.A. too at the Apple yes, store the in Apple Santa store, Monica. Yes, the Apple store, dude. What yeah, happened? the Apple and then the police all wanted to fucking do me over that kind of shit too. But I guess your lawyer is probably smart and so was mine and they're just like you know what fuck off he didn't he didn't fucking say hey everybody come over and cause shit he just did what he was paid to fucking do and you know it was just not really handled well by fucking circumstances that be not the freakiest no part moment about it. it for me is dude the next morning tmz's pounding on my door pounding on you oh, talk wow. to you guy and we were talking Open up. here. TMZ. Oh my God. This is my house. I'm like, oh, I'm not just some guy like playing records at your little local club. This is like a thing now. This it's is like it was a moment where, oh, this is the thing. But anyway, that that day, my f Twitter went from nine or eight thousand or whatever it was to a hundred thousand overnight. <laughs> wow. That's why I have a Twitter account. I mean, I mean, I probably would you say like that 20, that problem that might have been one of the catalysts to your career right now. For sure, it helped. No question. Well, it always helps. Like, thing. I mean, if you play for two, or you could constitute that as helping. But do you think that was like one of the the upper echelon of catalysts that helped? Yes, I actually think it did too. Because I, to me, it's like full on rock and roll. Like, like yeah. music, and especially oh, that's DJs, rock star status. Yeah, yeah, especially DJs, they don't get that cachet of like celebrity until recently, and at that point. No, that had never happened. Nothing like that had ever happened, really. And well, so, you know, there'd been incidents, like kids trying to get into a show and they, like, jump fences and stuff and they create chaos, but nothing like this had ever happened. And 
I'm not, I, I would never say that it was a good thing in terms of society. I mean, it was a little crazy no, a how bad, it went it's down. A bad thing. But look, it's like I wasn't trying to do that or trying to create that. And what's funny is I feel like since that happened, there's been 20 guys that have tried to recreate moments like that because they realized, like, yes, that propelled me to oh, some can't. other place. Yeah, yeah you can't. No. The magic, like, you know, like, it's just. Right. I wasn't trying to do that. I mean, no. we we're trying to have it's actually a good getting time harder and to, to run into those kind of things these days. Yeah, by accident right. or not, you know. But it was a very surreal thing because, yes, Joel, I was having that moment, like, whoa. I'm. I mean, we get back to the hotel. Jonas is with me. We're turning on the TV. Every channel's got me on. My brother's texting me, like, dude, what the hell are you doing? He's like, I'm in the <laughs> hospital. He's in the hospital having his baby, no. his third kid, and he's oh. like, you're all over the TV. The nurses are talking about. He's like, what are you doing, dude? Not only that, what's the hip hop guy that called me? Freaking. And we got a feeling, you know, the, the other guys. Uh, Black Eyed Peas. Oh, yeah. Black Eyed Peas guys. Will I Am. Will I Am. Will I Am calls uh, me. Did up. you just call Will I Am, I am the hip hop guy? I'm looking at myself on <laughs> the TV. The cops are I'm looking for me. I'm just going to Everyone's texting me. <laughs> Will I Am calls me up. We got to get in the studio tonight. No. We got to capture oh this God. magic right now. I'm like, dude. I think I'm going to prison. <laughs> You're talking about going to the studio? I'm getting on a flight in a few hours. I'm getting out of here, dude. Oh, my God. I'm You're like, like I'm going to Ibiza. I don't know if I'm coming back. <laughs> this Cascade guy. He's a it was the weirdest, like, 12 hours of my life, for sure. <laughs> it was awesome. That's incredible. And, I mean, well, what about, like, using the internet to find other artists? I know that, you know, you have that epic video of you finding, um, I think it was, what was it, Chris James, uh, for your song, Dead Mouse, uh, on Twitter, right? On Twitch. No, it was pre-Twitch. No, it was, no, it was, no, it was, was my streaming. own streaming service. Oh, yeah. Yes. I yeah. mean, is that even possible anymore to find artists you like? You know, through- uh, oh, my God. You know, it, yes and no. Um, I tried to organize it um, a few times where I, I would occasionally do a thing haphazardly called mousetrap yeah. monday which is just basically n- not doing the formulaic thing because if i've noticed a trend on fucking twitch with the music producers on there right they they like i'll review your songs um but then you know there's like 80 of these things you know what i mean so it's like almost like a, a like a, a content play where there yeah. some smaller labels mid-sized labels are not I wouldn't I, I didn't invent the audition you know what I mean so it's right of course it, it's just it's just something that you know I I've noticed it has got like prevalent on there you know what I mean and I'm thinking well maybe that's not the play because I don't really want to like nurture a uh American Idol-esque vibe right, on under my shit you know what I mean like where it's like okay you're gonna come in you're gonna you're gonna you know uh, submit a track and I'm gonna listen to it and I'm gonna be Simon Cowell up here and and tell you some fucking bullshit <laughs> advice that you think is so fucking valuable you would be good I'm at successful. that yeah you'd actually make a good yeah. Simon well <clears throat> it you know it has its moments and stuff like that and I have right. I have no problem sparing feelings when you know something is like really just dismissive or not that good and but but i try to quantify why at least that's the bare minimum for me you know what i mean it's like okay well it's not good because and then when i watch some of these other like you know some people's is like hey i'll review your shit there they just pull shit out of their ass 
You know what I mean? It's like, oh, you know, it's like the, you know, you got to really like kind of compress your, your <laughs> compressor with like 80 hertz. And you're like, right. what are you fucking talking about, dude? And, and I kind of have a feeling like that combined with YouTube, combined with, you know, hi, I'm fucking, this is my video tutorial, kind of low key ruined electronic music. It's all been like, you know, templatized because if you're like a, a 10 year old kid and you want to learn to make electronic music and I go to fucking YouTube and I how to EDM, I got fucking Carnage's face up there fucking saying, oh, use this because it makes it fucking way, way better. <laughs> uh, right. You know what I mean? And then they're like, OK, it's amazing. <laughs> right. You know? Right. And then that's it just kind of homogenizes into this like. You know, why is this guy uploading videos? Well, he's not doing it because he's a teacher. He's doing it because he wants everyone to go and like his shit and buy his album. You know what I mean? Or, or some other, any other agenda other than I'm here to educate you and this is fucking science. Well, I think what, I mean, Joel, what I think you did was actually more beneficial than maybe even you realize. I think there's a, there's a curiosity when you're on the outside looking in of like, how does this all come together? You know, you, you, no matter what someone's career is, like if you were an attorney, I couldn't go to watch all your cases and watch it develop, but there was probably two or three that maybe made your career in the music industry. You know, it's always a track or a moment, uh, or in your case, a riot, but whatever, you know, like <laughs> we all have our breakthrough things, but like, I think when you lower the veil and you become, you know, you, you let the world in, uh, that was actually pretty cool. Uh, and well, yeah, but that's I, you know, just I commend it. you. The for thing it. is, it's like these people, you know, you can't learn this shit from watching and listening to some other guy tell you how to do it. The key to success in this and probably many other fucking dichotomies is to fucking stick with it and endure everything. And these random things will fucking happen. You know what I mean? Like the the viral clip, the yeah. fucking this and that. You know what I mean? There's some fuckwit that stuck a fucking pen in a fucking pineapple. I'm pretty sure when he stuck that pen <laughs> in that fucking pineapple, he was going to get signed by Ultra Fucking Records five years later. You know what I mean? Dude, this is, the dude was just I'm like, the I'm a fucking for a idiot. Here's my idiot right fucking now. video. Funny, haha. And guess what? My 10 friends like it. And then it just, whatever brush fire fucking circumstances happened, you know? Gangnam style did not fucking they didn't fucking write that shit fucking knowing this was going to be an American takeover. Yeah. You know what I mean? Dude, endure. You said it, man. Endure. That's it. That's it. That's the takeaway, man. That's literally it it. freaking. And here's the soul crushing shit. There are dudes yep. I know that have been enduring for 30 fucking years, you know, and there are dudes that fucking endure for 20 fucking minutes. You know what I mean? It's it's it's, it's, <laughs> right. it's the ocean. You know, it's fucking yeah. But that is interesting. What you said about the templates, you know, and things all sounding the same is that it, in a way, we have access to all this information, all these tutorials, and everybody can learn, and it's so cool. But it is making it all sound the same because nobody, a lot of people, don't have to go through that experimentation and learning even watching you on twitch last night yeah, you're building but, this show i don't even know what you're doing exactly but you're building something and i watched you make a bunch of mistakes and go this isn't fucking working i'm gonna go back you're learning that program you know in real time on twitch and a lot of people don't have to do that anymore with ableton with the production and the djing and go oh, through all yeah. this. so 
the same well, stuff that's, is happening again, too. There's, there's, uh, no matter how shitty of a human or non-deserving you are to be a musician or, or uh, how inept and dumb you are when you upload some kind of educational material or broadcast yourself out there, there's always almost 99% there is a takeaway. There is something to be learned that is useful that you were like, oh, I didn't know you could do that. This guy's a fucking idiot. But actually, he did this one fucking thing that, like, <laughs> I didn't know about. You know what I mean? Right. It's, it's, it's learning to learn and not learning to follow. Yeah, yes. you know, you, you know? said something, though, about everyone following each other. And I think, you know, when, when I talk to young DJs and I'm, you know, mentoring or whatever, I mean, I've, I haven't had the DJ career that these guys have had, but... But I still get – I talk to a lot of these kids, and I, and I tell them to think like – I mean, honestly, the only metaphor that ever works for me is that – to because I think if, we, if you stay in the DJ lane too much, it's hard to understand. So I, I talk about it more like a chef. Like, hey, if I gave you all the ingredients and I gave him all the ingredients, exact same stuff, and I gave the next person all the same stuff, I would hope you guys would make something slightly different from each other and you would put your thing on it. Yeah. And I think that's the whole point of this. It's not to be like, I'm not trying to make the next vaccine Berlin. I'm trying to make my thing and have that work. Well, dude, and that's the were, enduring and the grit that you have to have as an artist or as a performer is to keep going, is to get those one, the one fan to the two fan to the 10 fans, you know. Well, dude, if you look at it, all, a lot of these breakout stories, what they have in common is that the artist was offering something unique. That's in the DJ space and that's in the... You know, there's a, a lot of that. If you're approaching it the same way everyone else is, like, dude, you're just going to blend in with what everyone else is doing. There's no... And I think that's been one of the things about streaming that's been kind of a bummer for me because whatever's successful... I mean, dude, after Faxing Berlin came out or I remember came out, dude, there was like 5,000 guys ripping mouse. Like, yeah. well, why would I want to play your version of that? I'm just going to go play the original. I'll just play Joel's version of that. The original one. You know, right. Um, and I think that, you know, even in pop music now, it's like, my goodness, one guy comes along and then it spawns a thousand imitators. But really, the guys that stick out are the ones that still, you know, strive to be. Unique. So my buddies in Stockholm, <clears throat> um, they always have a name for this. And it, it sounds Stockholm in, syndrome in, uh, in, <laughs> in Swedish. I'm getting but that there's right two now. kinds. No, but I think this is really critical, and I think it comes down to DJing too. Yeah, um, is that there's two kinds of people. There's tastemakers and taste takers, and the idea that when you're in the booth or you're in the studio, you're creating. Inevitably, you're going like he said, you're going to influence somebody. You know, right? And then they become the taker of that influence, and then they might do something with it, and they themselves might become a tastemaker. And this starts to transfer when you connect the world through the internet or YouTube and all of these tutorials become the same, the templates and the expectations. Yeah. And I'll tell you, it gets even worse, even for us at Beport. So true story. <clears throat> when we first started this, we had this, I'm going to, it's sad, but it was like a five minute meeting. How, where do we start the preview? So you press play on a track. Where do I start the preview on the track? Well, it was funny that you guys always started in the middle to me. Oh, we just, we just had a meeting and I said, let's move 30% in mathematically. Cause right. just developers, you can't say move to the thing. And then, you know, they need it. They need like a percentage. Yeah. Oh, right. So you, so I said, I didn't even think about that. That's I cool. said, move 30% in and then start playing it. So we took and you have to understand when we launched, it was all that historical catalog. It didn't really line up with that timing. 
And so a lot of times what would happen is you'd get through the break and it was a right to drop and then our preview would stop. Yeah. <laughs> and people thought we did that on purpose. Like we were trying to keep you, you have from to hearing buy, the drop. Yeah. You have to buy the record to hear the right. drop. Sorry, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that wasn't the intent. It just mathematically worked like that. So what happened was the new young producers started changing the way they wrote the tracks. Oh, to they, fit into your yeah, format, right? To fit in. So, so these are like, and then these kids started to become more popular because, you know, inevitably their Because previews, people could hear the drop. Their previews were better. And you know, that's kind of ridiculous, but it's these tiny little things that change in culture right. that have massive impacts. Yeah. Well, I mean, just, I mean, that's like TikTok, you know, when, yeah, when sure. it was only a short amount of time or Vine or anything that was limited, the amount of time you could put something on a video. Yeah. And then things just sort of adjust to that. And now people are like, all right, we just make these videos that fit vertically on your phone for one minute. I also think it's been really fun to watch Joel with all his <clears throat> synthesizers, like, I have no idea what all those machines do, but it looks pretty <laughs> badass on, <laughs> on social media. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, and the streaming. I mean, I love how you stream on Twitch, building, you know, your lighting and shows and everything together and just let everybody see everything and just talk to them as if they were there in the room with you. Yeah, well, it's it's it serves two purposes. One, obviously, it just kind of puts some eyeballs on what I'm doing. And then right. secondly, I find that if I'm talking to myself or someone, especially when I'm learning something, just saying it out loud tends to solve problems faster than if you were alone with your thoughts. Yes. No, it's true. Like I, I how, watched you doing it. 100%. Yeah, it was inspiring to me. Like, oh, I totally get what he's doing. You know, <laughs> he just turns on the stream as if he's sitting there with one other person in the room, but going like, fuck, this thing isn't working. Or, you know, but everybody feels like they're, there with you, yeah, and you're able to work through the ideas and the problems in a you know better way and learn it. All right, so I have a question for both of you guys before we get off of this thing. Have you ever DJed a wedding? I have. Uh, yes, no. I have DJed a wedding. Have you? A few. I've DJed a few. Dude, I've I never... get requests like every year because I've written a few love songs in my day. So it's yeah. like, you have to come and play this song. I'm like, dude. <laughs> Ten million dollars. <laughs> How much? <laughs> yeah. Pretty much. <laughs> You're like the power. Ball. I've never played a wedding. <laughs> no. Nope. I have. Nope. I, yeah. I I would I would I would I would say if I have, uh, but I I honestly I have never. Would you Would you ever do it? I almost had him Whoa. at a wedding DJing, dude. That weekend you were out of town, and I was up there for uh, Ryan Henderson's marriage. I ended up like. I know, and I, you were supposed to come, but you didn't. You got in town like a day later, two days later. If you would have come, I would have made you get on with me because I jumped on there for like whatever 15, 20 minutes, you know. Yeah, but you wouldn't have been able to say that. Dang it. That's a, no. What did you play? Like your own stuff? Uh, Living on a prayer. I played one or two of my own songs, and then I just play like you know whatever, freaking some Earth, Wind, and Fire. I just went into like Vegas hits. You know, the, you know that Ryan's yeah. manager lives twenty minutes from my house, really? and my manager lives twenty minutes from Ryan's house, but <laughs> we're separated by like a thousand miles. We, we can't make this up. Uh, That's that actually pretty funny. No, I swear to God. <laughs> yeah, Ryan's manager lives in like basically my neighborhood, 
And my manager lives in Ryan's neighborhood. See you in LA. Yeah, it's a funny thing. Wow. <laughs> kind of that. You can trade managers anyway. for the day. See how that goes. <laughs> nah, I'm good. Nah. <laughs> nah I'm good. <laughs> what up? Once what? I saw that watch on his Ryan's wrist, I was like, ooh, I don't know about this guy. <laughs> He's a flexor. <laughs> Speaking of crazy watches on the wrist, you know, I'm sure there was a time when you guys realized, oh, my God, I'm making crazy amount of money from this stuff. What's like the most reckless or crazy thing you bought, uh, I guess, besides the two jet skis from Don? No, he's got a sick <laughs> boat and he's upgrading. Dude, I'm stoked on oh the upgrade. Oh, my God. I literally spent my entire SoCan royalty check this year on a boat. <laughs> that's amazing what kind of boat but that's not reckless that's okay, not reckless, you're right. it's not reckless. Nah, okay it. he's got a beautiful house as and well. i'm gonna be out on it all the fucking time that's not like a flex no, that's no like, no that's, that's for great. me right that's an investment in your mental health my friend true it's yeah nature 100 percent. austin's coming on no i i bought i bought it i bought a fully loaded teague uh 25 footer like a surf boat it is fucking insane yeah, I I'm just excited. like like eight shit for sure on coming all the out next summer. One hundred percent. Yeah, we might oh, have to make a difference with some more records next summer. Just saying. <laughs> yeah, well, um, reckless. The most reckless thing I bought, um, yeah, might be. You know what? I don't know because I feel like I've used everything. Like you know, but but right. reckless is like I like I would. Okay, I, I once paid two million dollars for a car. Okay, but that's pretty good. I I love driving, and right. I drove the shit out of it, and you know I tore it up on the fucking track. I I didn't buy it and say look what I got, and then right. put it in a garage and never touched it. So I I don't think I've ever recklessly ever purchased anything because I I I'm just I think the way that I am is like if if I find value in it or will find value in it or it gives me some kind of you know fucking use. I'll get it. You know what I mean? But yeah. like, I, I've never bought something to have for the sake of everyone but me. Right. That makes Dude, sense. you're too smart to be reckless. Come on. What about Steffi, you? All the stuff he's about. I'm not reckless. I don't know. Hey, you don't oh, seem I'm like trying it. to think of the most reckless thing I bought. Yeah, like I probably these tennis shoes. I don't know. Like, I, like <laughs> I, I, I can't see like Elon buying Twitter makes no sense to me. You know what I mean? Because it's like, there's no way he's passionate about social media and, and things like this. He's just a, a fucking weird ass man child, you know, <laughs> anti-social weirdo that that's running a fucking social media company. Ha ha. So it's a joke. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I, I mean, I could find better uses for $44 billion, like maybe actual cancer instead of internet cancer or uh, <laughs> fucked veterans, well you know, shit like that. Little dumb things. You know what I mean? Like, but like that's fucked up that's that's when you separate money from power because i i think we're in positions in our lives and i can kind of feel it a little bit more as i'm older is that i don't care about money anymore because and i know it sounds stupid and fucking ooh, look at you joel and your fucking first dj problems but fucking this is real fucking talk like i, I i'm good you know what i mean so yeah. I don't feel any pressure to make more. So when you stop worrying about money, you worry about fame or power. You know what I mean? Right. And that's like the next tier. <clears throat> you know, 44 billion out of 200 or whatever you have in in assets is when you look at it, 
and and truncate a few fucking zeros, it's not that much. And yeah, you could afford a funny fucking joke like that and live very comfortably off of any losses you make on forty four billion. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's obviously not about the money. It's about uh, his little virtual fucking dick and his is he needs this validation. You know what I mean from everybody. And I I. I feel like I need that too sometimes. But interesting. It's a lot not, of money. 44 billion. Not not that I don't even know what recklessly a billion dollars is. weird. <laughs> 44 bill. Like, no, well, that yeah. that is so interesting. I never thought about it like that. When you kind of reach the point where you feel like you're making enough money, you know you're gonna make enough money, you're set, and fame and power take over and maybe start to infect your brain a little bit and take away from things that you actually want to do. Sure. That's how you can you can usually tell someone who very quickly made a lot of money versus someone who worked a very long time to get at it. Those those people are really easy to spot. Right. I for me, I guess, I don't know. Um but it it's yeah, it's wealth is a very very misconstrued concept uh when you start commingling it with your personal necessities outside of being validated by other people like things that you actually enjoy you know like you can love going to space and you could want to go to space and you could build an empire to go into space but not actually do it and buy a social media company instead <laughs> so that's like it's a heavy indicator that you're not very serious about anything <laughs> right i wish you good, were on twitter uh, still to yeah. to talk to us about it no <laughs> it was a good day though when yeah, i was right. making See, enough that i didn't have to sweat where my rent was coming from was i'm i i love i love this idea of taxing the wealthy i love it i'm all for it fuck it tax me i'm wealthy fuck it you know what i mean like like that's right. great i don't care because i i even after all that ass fuckery from the government i i'm still okay i'm still eating so are my cats and and i've got the things that i enjoy because they don't cost billions of dollars you know what i mean yeah so like where did we go wrong in society where <laughs> you know what i mean all this shit is just tied up in this in, in these big big entities and it's it's in and it, it it hurts me most with like the way that music works and i think Instead of bitching about it, do something about it. That's my whole ethos, right? So since I am the master and fucking controller of my own career and rights and what I want to do with my music, I'm allowed to make a, a video game version of a music delivery system and do that and say, hey, if you like my music and you like these kind of experiences, here, go buy this for $1 off of fucking Steam. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I can sidestep a market because I have over the years, you know, kind of dredged up this construct of fame and notoriety among people that I have an audience to present that to. Right. But where would we be if we didn't have three global fucking conglomerate companies to reach those fucking people? So it's a twisted fucking mess, you know? Yeah, I think we're seeing the results, or we're just watching it unravel oh, yeah. in real time at the moment. 
I mean, there's two outcomes, right? He's going to turn the company around or whatever the fuck he's thinking, or, or he's going to burn it to the ground and then say, ha ha, I meant to do that, which (laughs) is inconsequential to him. Yeah. Really? Truly. It's, it's literally, he like, just, you can tell just by the way the guy acts that he just does not give a shit. And that's admirable. I like that. But what I think escapes him and other fucking loudmouth rappers is that there are a lot of unseen social impacts and consequences that these things have. So, haha, I burned Twitter down to the ground. You know, in my brain, that's funny at a surface level. Right. But when you start to fucking think about it, you're like, holy shit, dude, you just literally cut off the megaphone that people need to reach their demographics or their their truly altruistic ways of communicating with their fan bases or selling their products whether it's music art anything you know what i mean it's like when you look at the negative impacts of hey let's just delete twitter and facebook dude we are fucked back to promo only doc you know cds and uh word of mouth and stuff like that which i think we have to start getting ready for you know (laughs) <laughs> because yeah. it might all I mean dude you're looking just I don't know whatever the responsibility that people have dude the whole Kanye situation right it's like we don't need to go into it whatever I think just to me what you're saying relates to that because I think you nailed it when you said these people are unaware of the impact that they're having um, you know when they're doing these things or saying these things whatever they just I think they're unaware yeah, but, but if they were aware of it and these people are, they should be locked up. They should be institutionalized if they're fucking aware of it because all this fucking collateral damage that's happening around them, you know what I mean? From the, the things they're saying or the things they're doing, you know what I mean? It's just yeah. absolutely criminal. Maybe this is a good time for people to reassess what they're listening to, what they're putting in their brains. I mean, dude, turn it <sighs> off. My goodness, man. Yeah. Whatever. I mean, yeah. Do, but do we. Do we deserve this? Do we need this? You know what I mean? I don't know. Maybe we do. Right. right. Maybe this is actually for the greater good. Well, maybe not the Kanye shit, but the Elon shit. You know what I mean? Maybe that maybe the world needs a fucking reboot uh, in that one particular area. You know what I mean? Right. Weird. Now that we've solved the world's social issues, I'm yeah. I think the reboot is your guy's show at the LA Coliseum. Yeah, right. Uh, Like and subscribe. (laughs) Make sure you leave a comment. Save the world. Come to our show. (laughs) If you're at the Coliseum (laughs) on December 10th, you will see the reboot. Sit around and make music, and all they do is complain. I hate these freaking guys. (laughs) Have, did you think about flying your guys in on a helicopter in this show, or is that possible? <laughs> I'm not getting in a helicopter with Ryan. <laughs> that ranks up as the most irresponsible yeah. thing that I bought. Yeah, I guess that would be my answer. <laughs> yeah, to but you use it a lot. Back no, yeah, no, you I like use it. I use you it. use it, and I use yeah. it responsibly. I yeah. should say you didn't buy it as a joke, right? No, I did not. Naomi's an amazing. Okay, pilot. My actually, wife is yes, an amazing that is pilot. my most reckless purchase. His wife is an amazing. Pilot. My That's most incredible. reckless purchase was a Lamborghini Huracan. Okay, <laughs> that's sweet. Just because you just that did, was, it to did it, I to bought that just just to piss off Ferrari. <laughs> Literally, <laughs> that's a quote. I I hate. Trust me, that car. I hate it. I hate four wheel drive Ferraris or sorry, uh, Lamborghinis. They they're terrible. I like they're they're not fun to drive. I I like I loathed getting in it. Like I did not like it. I had to do it 
because I because Ferrari told me to uh, a long story. Google it, but they they told me I had to unwrap my car basically. Ferrari. You're like, it's my car, on my, Ferrari. Yeah, yeah, like whatever. Rules. Anyway, um, so I'm like, wow. And then after some back and forth with my lawyer, they were kind of like, actually, you know what? You kind of have to fucking do it because this is like we can't. Wow. We don't want to waste resources on. Wow, fucking that's fighting. in the purchase like, agreement. You know what, you're absolutely it's in the right. purchase agreement. You know what? Fuck you. Yeah, don't you yeah, own the car? Like so, n- no, nobody does. But anyway, Crazy. trust wow. me, I've been through this. You think you think I would fold that easy? No, um, no, I'm anyway. just wondering. I'm not d- doubting it, but yeah. that's nuts. That's crazy. So the, the the takeaway was is was me publicly saying, "Okay, guess what, Ferrari? I'm going to sell your car on Craigslist for cheap, <laughs> and I'm going to buy a fucking Lamborghini." And they're like you know, go ahead. And then I did right. Thinking I wouldn't fucking do it. So I sold it for ridiculously fucking cheap, uh, to someone who really wanted one. And I thought that was great. So I did a good deed. Um, but, um, I went out and bought this Lambo and I Lamborghini got, we got talking and I said, Hey, can I wrap this up and we'll do the Purican instead of the Ferrari? And they were like, Oh my God, absolutely. Please do it. And I was like, great. So I purchased the car, wrapped it. And then just literally, drove it like maybe three times because I just hate driving it. Dude, is it so low to the ground you have to like stretch out before you get in or what? Is it just hard to get into? The Lambo? Yeah. No, it just sucks as a car. I'm 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 not I'm not that big, so Yeah, you're pretty it's not that awkward getting in. I mean dude, dude what is it? You're just, McLaren. No, I, Even I had to like think about that for a second. But whatever, I have a hard time getting my Land Rover. So <laughs> Yeah, I'm just used to getting in cars feet first. I live one of those kind of lives. Yeah. Duke's a hazard. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, I don't own a car that you don't have to get in feet first. That's that's when you know you made it. <laughs> there it is. That's the point. <laughs> that's the life. When you have to think about how you need to get into your car, that's that's the life you want. Fucking stupid. Well, whatever. Anyway, I look, guys. It's been fun and great and whatever and good talking to you, Jonas and yeah. Spider and Ryan. As much as I love talking to you, um, and since we are. <laughs> Like a topping, can you please upload that whole bang of tracks yes. and the Dropbox? I will go home because I'm, I literally I'm, have one week to do this. All right, I'm only doing Thank it you. if you promise to send it back to me once you do some stuff. I'll, I'm going to go home and we'll upload. Oh, it. I'm absolutely sending it back. Oh, I'm not going to just finish it and say, "Okay, this is the one we're doing." I I don't like the way it starts right now, so I need to freaking don't worry. Do like something. I will do like my it's thing, making... and I will send it back. And All right, I like, have an idea. This is great, or maybe we could do this. Yeah. Okay. Cool. I'll, you get, I'll, I'll you load get it. two. I meant revisions. to do it last night, and then I just got carried away doing something else. Anyway, I'll do it today. I'm going home after this, so Thank I'll do so it. Much. Where there's internet, proper internet at my house, I do. Or awesome. I'll just come to your house with my tethered phone. There you go. <laughs> Okay, I'm gonna follow eight, you around. 18 hours to load up. <laughs> we'll be yeah. uploading it from my LTE. Okay, I gotta go. <laughs> All right, yo, thank you so much for coming Thanks. on. Thanks for taking See the time. Go. Yeah, good catching up, dude. All right, that was the still image of Dead Mouse talking to us, giving us life lessons and gems and amazing Listen, perspectives. The endure was a good one, man. Endure. You nailed it. That's, That's the, the truth. truth. It's the truth. Yeah. Who can endure? The longest, you know, I mean, and, and, you know, how much do you care about something and how passionate are you really? Okay. So check this out. 
because everyone's got their vantage point, right? I love right. hearing that Stephanie story because I actually don't even remember that or whatever. Or maybe you were having that conversation with Stephanie. Dude, I had hit him up right around the same time to make move for me. Anyway, um, Spider, you know how I remember hearing your first? No. I was in Miami and. Yeah. Oh, no, here, you can put it. Uh, you can put that. Oh, what are we still going and whatever? We don't Why need to. Okay. <laughs> I'll we're record it. We're in Miami. Yeah. And, uh, dude, did you win something? You yes. won a contest. Yes. The winner, so I, I entered a contest through BPM Magazine and yes. Rockstar Energy Drink yes. to send in a 30 minute mix. And, uh, Mark Ronson was the judge. And yes. if you win, you get to go to Winter Music Conference in Miami. I'd never been to Miami Dude, or Winter Music. I was music. at the show. <laughs> it's incredible. And I saw you play. That's so crazy. And yeah. I was like, this is the guy who won the thing. Yeah. This is cool. He's coming up under Ronson. He's coming up. And it, like everyone was there that night. I mean, dude, it was everyone. At, um, that was life changing was, for me. What was the venue? I mansion. Mansion. It was Mansion Man, in Miami. Dude, Mansion had some moments, dude. I had sure. dude, I had some nights at Mansion. Yeah. Wow. And this was they had made it was supposed to be Mark Ronson, but then they made a DJ AM was like, I'm here too. And they made it DJ AM versus Mark Ronson, whatever the verses meant. Right. Um, and I was the opener, uh, you know, shitting in my pants, of course. Uh, little did I, I didn't know you were there, but everybody in the world was there. In front Dude, everyone of me. was, because this is when Miami was still like, this you was, could negotiate it, because it wasn't like 100,000 people. It was like 10,000 people. So it yeah. was like when a big night was happening, the tastemakers were all there. Yeah. Anyway, I was there. Up, uh, saw your. I mean, I heard the story. Was like, I gotta check this out, man. What's up? I That's saw incredible. the whole thing. Amazing. Saw you come out. Amazing. Whatever. Do your thing. I was like, this dude's gotta be sweating it right now. I was freaking out, like, <laughs> you know, shitting in my pants. And then, were you, were you playing clubs up to that point, doing a little bit of stuff around town type I of mean, thing? Or were you yes, mainly a sure. bedroom guy? But like local, like you know, I was. I had been DJing ten years. It was like you said, you know, you you go through all these evolutions. I thought, oh, I'm gonna be the DJ in a rock band, like it was Beck or something. You know, I thought I was gonna have a record label. I would be. An underground hip-hop DJ. I, I tried so many things. And I would right. DJ here, you know, in L.A., all the clubs, you know, just trying to get by a few hundred bucks here and there. Right, right. And I would enter tons of contests. I would enter the Scion contest, and I would win, but something would happen and nothing would happen, you know, after. Right. But this, um, yeah, this was so exponentially, so much bigger than anything I'd ever done, like being in Miami for my first time, winter music for my first time, mansion for the first time. Just and then a whole game changing moment. It man. was Just such like, a game changing moment. And then, you know, Mark Ronson able to see me. AM I had randomly become friends with AM right before that. And it was like all of these things were coming together. It was like a trifecta of like winning the that and then meeting AM in Vegas on this random chance and him forgetting his needles at the gig we were and at. You had him and, and he like, gave me the, his card and I called him I'm like, yo, I'm the guy you're just with. Like I have your needles. Like I'm at the airport. I'm going back to LA to do a John Varvato store opening. Will you bring me the needles? And I'm like, who is this guy? You know, and my <laughs> right. friend Steve was like, just go, dude. I'll do, I'll be here. You know, I was like, all right, because we were DJing like a thing right. for magic for the you know clothing convention. So I go meet him, I give him the needles, and I'm like, here's my mixtape. Like, listen to this at least, you know, as a thank you for right. me bringing the needles. He's like, all right, bro. Goes back to LA. 
I'm like, I'll never talk to this guy again. And he hits me up like, listen to the mix. So dope. I got this club called LAX. I want you to come by. And I have somebody that digitized every ultimate beats and breaks record. Like, you know, at the time it was like hard to get MP3s because we were recording vinyl in at the time. Like it was the beginning of any digital thing. So all of my MP3s were vinyl recorded in. So I went and met him and all that happened. And then the other part of the winning the contest was to do a show at LAX. So I end up being there with AM and Ronson again. And Ronson's like, how do you have all these edits? And I'm like, I can't book DJ gigs. That's all I'm doing is making edits and remixes and, you know, doing all that. So right. yeah, crazy. Uh, Dude, but Mark was so much more, Ronson was so much more involved with the scene back then, right? Or, yeah. Or, I mean, well, he was in this in-between, like, so, cause p- part of it was for me to go on tour with him. So we went all over America to like a bunch of cities. So you know Mark. You're friendly with Mark. I mean, yeah. Dude, I mean, I, I got to know legend, him. this guy, oh, man. I mean, been watched his career. It's so awesome. It's unreal. Right? Like, I remember winning this. We go to Vegas. I opened for him. But he was at that part where, like, he, him and AM had a residency at Pure at Caesars and at this place, Tangerine, at Treasure Island. And I remember he would just like DJ with a cigarette in his mouth and play like Arctic monkeys and like try to piss the crowd off. Almost like you're saying with the 30 song quick mix. Like he was kind of like, fuck you guys, watch this. I'm going to do whatever I want. I hope I get fired. It was kind of the vibe I was getting from he was over this and he wanted to be a producer. And I remember we went to do this show in Philly. We drove back in the middle of the night or something back to New York. And we went to his studio the next day and he's like, I want to play you some of this stuff I'm working on. Um, it's this girl, Lily Allen and this girl, Amy Winehouse. And he's playing me this music. And I'm like, this is the best thing I've ever heard in my life. I've never heard anything like this. And it sounds like it's old school and new at the same time. And right. You know, and he's like, I got this band and we got the drums and they sound like old funk drums and her voice is incredible. And so I was like, wow, you know, you're going to just go to the next level. I mean, I, I remember seeing so you him. you got to see it right before it. Cause like, right Amy before, Winehouse cause he was still a just, DJ. Yeah. Right. Well, yeah, because back then he was kind of like around in the scene. He like, had done he like um, that Nate Dog, like Ooey song with like Nate Dog and uh, Ghostface Killer. You know, right. it was like right. this New York guy that was a socialite dope DJ guy, you know, in the hip hop yeah, yeah, scene yeah. and would DJ all the big people's parties and was starting to put records out in like the hip hop yeah. world. And I think probably was producing like a few different artists, you know, coming up. But yeah, then. Once the Amy Winehouse thing was coming, I think he was like, I'm really going in. I'm making this Dude, my thing. That's so interesting. Really, the what was so important for Mark to break was, because, yeah, he had connections. He was going to be a producer on some level, whatever. Yeah, of just going to be like these cool little, like yeah. some rich kid, give this guy some records, whatever. Yeah, yeah. He A&R'd Amy Winehouse. I mean, somewhere he yeah. met... Lily and Amy and was like, this is dope. I need to go all the way. I need to say, cause I've had yeah. a few moments like that, but I'm like, then I'm just going to be like this studio dude. Cause I, I enjoy the road. Like, right. I, like I enjoy performing. Yeah. Which was a process for me in the beginning. I was like, yeah, I don't know if I really like this. Maybe yeah. I am a studio guy, but then kind of, when I got farther along, I was like, oh, I like it anyway. Right. Just relating it to my own story. No, no. I uh, think a lot of DJs and a lot of producers are used to being in this controlled environment to have to go out and, interact with the crowd is tough well for me they they work with one another yeah like, as i play every weekend then i come back and i can work on stuff and it's like i right. get inspired and i know what's working and it's like i've always got my finger on like yeah. things what's happening oh these records are working i should be like l- using this palette you know totally um so they kind of 
work together. I, I think yeah. they go hand in hand. But I think he, like you were saying, almost made a conscious decision to step back and be like, I'm not doing these kind of gigs anymore yeah, or I'm this kind of Vegas thing. And Vegas was so different. You know, AM was the king of Vegas at that point. He was the first DJ to get a million dollars to DJ for the year. And like, that was so mind blowing at the What's time. What's crazy is I'm not even in that scene at all. Every even like house guys and everyone knew a million yeah. bucks. Everyone was like, "Holy crap!" Yeah, this dude got a million dollars. A million dollars to DJ. First time I remember uh, was it Junior Sanchez or no? Uh, Junior Vasquez. Right. I can remember reading an article where he got paid ten thousand bucks to play New Year's Eve in Tokyo, and everyone was like, "What the ten thousand dollars?" You know, this for DJing, was, yeah. this was just like unbelievable. I know, and I mean, you know, you think about that now, it's like, oh, well, if, and you think about it just in Vegas it. terms, yeah. I mean, I remember, like I was saying, being the resident at Trist, you know, I had to negotiate my deal, which at the time they were like, that's more than we're paying anybody, and is like, you know, five cents now compared to the other things, right, but right. no, it was good, it was amazing. I'm so thankful, but but. Then I remember them going, have you heard of this guy, uh, Calvin Harris? And I was like, and, and I was playing his stuff kind of at indie, like, like events. Cause he, he may have that album. I invented disco right. and it was more like great record, man. Freak. The best. So yeah, good. Yeah. But there wasn't very many, it wasn't like that style yet. And they're like, have you heard of this guy, Afrojack and you know, Cascade and Dead Mouse and Avicii. And it was like the beginnings of the rumblings. And they were saying how you know, people are asking for $20,000, you know, or $25,000. And I'm like, wow, that's nuts. You know, nobody could believe it. You know, it's like fast forward to like just things people could never understand the amounts of money that started going into Las Vegas DJ rates and kind of all exploded at chaos, I guess, (laughs) at that one place. Dude, here's my Vegas thing. Whether this gets included or not, it doesn't matter. Yeah, that's fine. This is the longest podcast in history. I know, it's fine. I'll edit things. So whatever, completely fine to cut this. But I I like to tell this story as many times as possible because I'm like, everyone's got their perspective and how it happened. Right. And here's mine. I went and played Vegas and... 07, 08, 09, whatever. And I was getting gigs and I was starting to get paid. And actually somebody was smart enough at the time when I remember and Move For Me came out to book us together. It was the first time I DJed with Joel and it was a pain in the ass because he had to have his own mixer and his lemur and all this freaking crap. And I was like, this freaking guy, you can't just play a freaking record, man. Like seriously, <laughs> dude. Anyway, <laughs> I laugh by that now. But when came to me in the fall of, end of summer in the fall of 2009, yeah. right. I said, hey, we're going to open a pool and we want to do it like Europe. Like we want you to play your cool freaking sexy house music because that's what I was becoming known for at yeah. the time. And we want to charge people money and make it like a whole freaking thing. And we want to have you come like once a month. And I'm like, I have a better idea for you. Because at this point in my life, I had kids. I had my first kid, and I was getting ready to have my second kid. I was like, I'll come play every single week for you guys, and we'll make it a seasonal residency. No one's done this. 
Oakenfold had his monthly residency. I'm like, dude, it'll be a seasonal residency, right. like Ibiza, like what you're talking about. Because I was flying to Ibiza and flying to all these places at that time. But dude, I was getting yeah. crummy opening sets at Pasha. And I'm like, I'm killing myself to fly halfway across the world. Right. This blows. So when they came to me, I was like, dude, I was all in. I was like, I'm going to fly out there. I flew out there. They showed me the plans for the pool. I'm like, this is going to be bananas. We actually went on the parking garage and looked down, and they're showing me the whole thing, rolled out the plans. I'm like, look, dude, wow. there's 11 weeks between Memorial Day and Labor Day. Let's just freaking slam it. Like, let's do this thing. And they're like, I'm like, let's do Saturday afternoons. They're like, no, no, no. It's going to be geared and based and towards locals because it's the local people. Because right. um, Marillo had that night that he was doing that was on like, Monday of he would do it on the a day after the holiday yeah and it was kind of like because a lot of locals Every year from New York and yeah. Chicago and LA and these places that had house music were moving to Vegas right and uh, somebody was doing uh, I forget who it was dude there was like a Wednesday night there was a house night that was kind of cool that was working anyway yeah so I was trying to convince them to do it Saturday because I'm like Saturday afternoon dude, it's a freaking slam dunk you'll get locals you get people from LA the clubs in LA are like eh. Exactly. They're like, no, Sunday. So we do Sundays. I kind of begrudgingly agree to it. We do Sundays. That first Sunday, Memorial Day weekend, when we opened, I wish we had film. We're stuffed 5,000 people in there. Dude, first of all, I just bought my house down here in Orange County because yeah. I couldn't afford LA. So I moved to Orange right. County when I first moved down here. And I was like, there's no way I'm going to be able to pay this. I just bit off more than I can chew. I was seriously like for months not sleeping. I signed that contract. They were paying me at the time, which was like an enormous amount of money. I was like, this is insane. Yeah. I've just changed my life. Fast forward that next year, we open on Memorial Day weekend. There's 5,500 people in that place. And there's probably about 10,000 people lined up on the boulevard trying to get in. And I come down, and these guys, the grins on their faces, I mean, these guys were like, they knew their lives were going to be different. And like, as I, they're, they're like, we're a, we've been at capacity for two hours. Amazing. And there's 10,000 people trying to get in here. Dude, the lines, bananas, this is, so, dude, everyone's freaking out. I go on there. I mean, the place is just going it was like, to me, it was the first inclination of like this EDM or like yeah. just people losing their minds. I'm totally. Like, and it was, you're going to play deep, sexy house music. This is how they're pitching me six months before that. Right. Dude, I was like, you know, I'm just like, places like, you know, people are splashing water. I'm like, what is happening right now? Because, I mean, I had the folder of like, yeah, cool daytime tunes for the pool. Right. I'm like, uh, scrambling. I mean, dude, I'm like, uh, I'm sweating. Well, see, thank God you're a real DJ. <laughs> I was just freaking out because yeah. I was like playing the hardest stuff that I have, which was right. like, for me, is like still deep house. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But it worked and there was enough fans there and it was kind of like another thing that kind of followed like this was a moment. I ended up signing yeah. a two-year deal with them right after that. And then it's... It's really that summer. So from my perspective, you're like, when did this all happen? Dude, that summer is when the wind was like, okay, we need to lock this up. So they locked me in for the next summer. But what they didn't do is the marquee came along and said, hey, you can play days there, play nights for us. We'll have you once a month here at night. So I go to the marquee and I'm like, or to the wind, I'm like, can I do that? And they're like, yeah, sure. Because it was so new. I was going to say, at the, now that they won't let you do that kind and of stuff. And the crazy thing is, dude, this was all like 
social media word of mouth. They couldn't advertise. Mr. Wynn's like, we're not going to be like this yep. club. I remember. Be the cool, sexy thing. We're not putting your picture anywhere. And I'm like, you guys, we got this many people coming here. Like, we're good for a while, but we could roll this out and really brand it. Yes. Yeah, so, dude, this is 2010. I stayed there for a while. Then Marquis was like, we'll give you X amount of dollars to come and do the night and day. And I was like, we can buy a bigger house. Let's move up to L.A. <laughs> that's, and that's exactly what happened. I sold my house down in Orange County, moved up to L.A., got a studio, and I was like, okay. That's amazing. It, but it all changed my life that summer of 2010, that Memorial Day. I just was like, my life will never be the same after this moment. This is like, this, this to me, I knew the Twitter thing was a big deal, but this was like solely my thing. These people, a concept that I'm in on and like I understood Cascade yeah. Sundays. Like I was like, well, I can do this for a while. Like this is a total right thing. But then after when I went to Marquee, they got really pissed, and that's when the win went and signed everyone. I don't yes. know if you guys remember that. that oh, I remember had like forty acts. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> that was Z. Remember, she went, she, she went crazy higher and everybody. I mean, that's just when it went nuts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it was definitely the Marquee and XS sort of battle that started building things up into that. And I remember, I remember that that turning point in you know your career, but just in the whole of Vegas and DJing and the music. Because I remember them, you know, I would go to dinner all the time with them because I'm there every week, and they'd be like, "Oh, well, we're paying these people like this much," and I'm like how you know and they were like we already made the money back you know it doesn't matter and then we're gonna make another million from these drinks and then this from this and i'm like and then i remember them saying okay the nightlife has now surpassed the gambling or something and it became bigger and i think that's when because they were saying to me they were like we want to put your name on a billboard but like you said mr win won't put faces and logos and there were all these rules and slowly but surely it started crumbling down and i think as you built that up and and really broke the doors down for everyone. That's what I was saying, that you guys were the pioneers and you were really the pioneer of of bringing that out there and birthing it in a way. Well, yeah, it was a, it was also like Jesse and Cy. And yeah, oh, Jesse and Cy, 100% give them props. You know, Jesse was the one that brought me out there. You know, just I was doing Dre's Hollywood and he's like... Dude, well, it's what... Listen, I... For sure, props. I'm not trying to take anything away from any of those guys. I think the initial crew at the win, Sean Christie and uh, yes. a lot of these guys that were there, and I don't want to slide it, but there was a group of like five or six Right, of us Ron, Nicole, like that were all yeah. in on those initial meetings. But the funny thing is, is like I was pitching them because I was being selfish. I thought, right. oh, it could work in Vegas or it might not. I don't know, but dude, you're going to have me here once a month. How about every week? I just was like less time on the road for me. Yeah. So it's an hour flight and you're there. Like, dude, you can go there and come back in the day if you're just playing the pool. Right. I was like, this is awesome. I want this to work. I didn't know if it would or not. It worked out for me. (laughs) I played a bunch of shows with them. Oh yeah. That whole first year at the marquee. Um, Dude, I had all my friends in the beginning because I'd be like, yo, I want the, I'm, give me a budget to book my friends. That's the best. You know? I want to. I played eleven of the first twelve shows. That's amazing. It's literally like I I tell everybody it was all the benefits with zero responsibility. (laughs) (laughs) 
That's it was good. awesome. That those was awesome. were fun times when it was so fresh and so new. I think those guys just looked back, then the other casinos were all there watching that. And when it worked, yeah, I don't think how anybody fast really can we knew. build a pool, you know? Right, build a pool was, and book but, the other guy. They were book at there at one point they're booking people nobody even knew and paying them oh, so much money. Well, this, got now, so, granted, I don't know the money that transfers in these moments, but I think to myself, you know, like there was these mono brand kind of nights like the Garth yeah. Brooks or these kind of things. Right. These things are worth lots of money. They're, they yeah. sell out. Even Tiesto would do like a night at House of Blues or at the Hard right. Rock, you know, but it wasn't like how you were doing it. But then to transfer that whole ecosystem into DJs and actually yeah. have it be bigger, I don't think anybody could have predicted that. There's no way. Well, Just, what, what changed was before then, Vegas is where old people hung out. Yeah. It was kind of like this crummy Even like, the tiger wind. shows yeah. and like weird, goofy things like you know, Celine. cool. There were like some club things to go to, but it'd be like one or two hot spots. Yeah. It wasn't like you're driving to Vegas more to go see like a bunch kind of, of it just was not as young. Right. And all of a sudden when it became club oriented and California's never had that good a nightlife. This is coming no. from somebody from the Midwest, like you know, it was different when I came out here. I'm like, everybody goes to bed early and like, oh yeah, because we can go hike tomorrow and the sun's <laughs> out. I'm like, it just was a different kind of lifestyle here. True. But then when Vegas lit up, it was like, oh, everyone fed into that. And it was young kids with more money and they wanted to party and they wanted to hang out and they'll stay in the rooms. Maybe they're not gambling as much, but they're getting the money other ways. And it just changed the dynamic of everything. And that's when Minister Wynn got on board. He was like, yeah, freaking put billboards up. Yeah, what put them up on Sunset Strip, and that's when it's just like, yeah, like 2014, 2015, when it got so competitive. I mean, you're driving down Sunset Strip, it's like Cascades, Swedish House Mafia, Afrojack. Like, it was just like this really goofy, like, thing that got out of balance because Vegas is just Vegas cash, (laughs) Vegas is over the top in every way possible. That's incredible. What a story! I mean, to hear from your perspective is amazing, you know, and and because I remember seeing it all happen and and like you said you pitched them okay let's do this and to this day you're still doing it and they're still you know this is now the format in a way of what it how it works out there i mean all these venues are built it's certainly a lot more competitive than it was because now there's right. like a million venues out there and a million pools and whatever and everybody's got a pool and then building a new pool and launching another pool right so it became a lot more competitive and i think that coupled with the interest was it was so new i mean even if they had one song on their ipod from the cascade they're like i gotta see that guy like what what does he do and what are those things and it was so much mystery around everything i think a lot of that's kind of like chilled out a lot yeah um but this is what people are doing for entertainment and i think that's a cool thing i mean whatever i think it's been a slow build since whatever they were blowing up disco records in Comiskey Park in Chicago. I mean, I think this thing's just been chugging along in the underground and now it's part of just pop culture and what is out there. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, every DJs are in everything now, like minions and you know, whatever. It's just a normal thing. Like my son just knows it's like, Oh, you're a DJ. Okay, great. You know, it's not as crazy and, and uh, mysterious. Like you said, even when I started, I remember going to Pasquale's raves and I would go to insomniac, the more like illegal (laughs) warehouse original ones where you'd be like, get a map point and get a ticket. And I couldn't even see what the DJs were doing. I was like, what? I thought they were making the music until I finally got to go back there and see they had all the records and they were putting them. And I was like, Oh, it's just like what the hip hop DJs are doing, but they're. Dude, mixing I think it together. there's people that still think that, right? That they're making the music. Yeah. Look at that 
pioneer DJ, they're like, that keyboard's weird looking. It's a CD <laughs> player, man. Like, <laughs> <you know>? Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. How's all that sound coming out of that thing, man? I don't know how it works. I just know that it does work. I mean, I have a 10-year-old daughter. I think I told you this last time we were here. She asked me if I knew you. Your daughter did? Yeah. That's amazing. She's You're like, like yeah. yeah. And he's a jerk. You know, <laughs> do you know this DJ named Cascade? And I was like, yeah, actually, you know him too. And I showed her that picture that you guys took when she was just a baby. Oh, that's awesome. But yeah, I mean, I, I guess my point is it's not really about that, that connecting point. It's just that I think it gets all the way down to the kids now. And, and it's part of their life. You know, yeah. it's, it's, it's in so much, it, it happens so much early. They have access to music, you know, at such a younger age. Um, and I think it's influential and it's a huge responsibility, you know, like in a, in a certain way, we're like shaping that, you know, the culture of, of those kids as they come up because they want to go see you or the next you, um, or the Joel, you know, like it, it all, yeah. you know, I think kids, especially, I don't think he realizes it, but they really like are attracted to the mouse ears because it's like something they can relate to. Yeah. I mean, it just became whatever. It's just a new form of entertainment, which is cool. I mean, it's good for us that we're here and kind of here before it was cool. <laughs> you know, I mean, uh, well, it validates the fact that you put all of your, you know, everything into making this happen for you before it was cool and before anybody thought it would be anything. Yeah. I, I, mean, I, I have one last little story that I'll tell because I want to hear your version of this. Yes. So I like this. All right. For a long time, I took a huge amount of pride in being a DJ. Um, and my family, it's different. So, so this is maybe 15 years ago. My family couldn't separate because my cousin for a long time ran a mobile DJ company and did, you know, Jeez. corporate events and right, and they would be like, "Oh, you're like your cousin, right, oh, dude." And I would okay. be like, you're "Like you're every DJ? DJ listening to this right now is just like, it would, <laughs> it would like yeah. kill yeah. my soul." And I would try to explain, like, "No, there's different kinds of DJs." You know, yes, that's a cool, that's a cool life if you can make that work. Like, if you can really lock into that local market of weddings, you can make a great living. It's the like, it's awesome. But I kind of somehow felt I was like working to be towards this, you know, more entertainment, large scale, like, like big room kind of sound Yeah, that I worked really hard on. And then I don't think that would necessarily happen today because it's become so mainstream and normalized that DJs are out there and it's a legit career. Yeah. Like <clears throat> I'm sure, I mean, you've been, your entire professional career has been DJ, yeah. your entire professional career has been a DJ. I would love to hear you guys is like those cringe moments have had to happen to both of you. Like, come on. Well, yeah, everywhere I go, I mean, people are like you're a DJ. Is that that's like your yeah. job? Did your life fail? <laughs> I'm like, I think so. I don't know. I'm paying for things, <laughs> but yeah, I know it's uh And then there is a lot of like, what's the end game? Yeah. I'm like, why? What are you? Are you asking everyone else that? You know what I mean? You're like. You work at this place. What's the end game? I'm like, all right, let me lay it out for you. We're yeah. on an airplane right now. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I think it's changed over time for sure. But, and I still get some of this because whatever, dude, I go to church and I'm dealing with like normal folk. Right. And you know, they're like, oh, this guy, he DJs. Are you on the radio? Like a morning show exactly. personality or yeah. they're like, asking you, you do that. a lot of weddings and bar mitzvahs yeah. and stuff around town. But that's and just like, what they know. 
crazy. You drive a really nice car for somebody who's running around town playing weddings. Like, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know, like, what? <laughs> yeah, I'm killing I'm like, oh. And it's, dude, it's always a, a tricky thing because, and, and I wish Joel was in on this part of the conversation because a lot of times when people ask me, when somebody who I don't know, I actually say I'm a music producer or a musician. Ah, I write songs, blah, blah, blah. Right. I produce music. Well, who do you produce? Would I know any of the artists you produce? Ah, well, I, I mainly produce myself. Well, what do you go by? Cascade. Yeah, I've never heard of it. All right, yeah, it's a niche thing. You know, it's younger. You're kind of old and yeah, you wouldn't know. It's dance music. You know, so there's always like, depending on how much they drill down to get to like, oh, I DJ. And then they're like, oh, are you like David Guetta? I'm like, yeah, kind of. David Guetta's like me. I don't know. I think I was before him. I'm not sure how old is he. No, he's probably older than me. <laughs> <laughs> Might be two years older. Than you. I don't know. But yeah, it's a, it's a, you know, oh, my son borrows some speakers. He's doing this PA thing. I'm like, I don't have any speakers. Yeah. I don't know. Oh my God. <laughs> I yes. had this exact experience. I get that all the time. I was in, uh, it was when I was at Beats and I, we were in the UK and um, we were at this party and they, uh, the president of Beats introduced me to this guy. He's like, hey, this is Paul. Uh, you guys are both DJs. You should, you should just hit it off. And I was like, cool. So I'm just talking to this guy, Paul. I had no idea who the heck he was. <laughs> right. So, Paul, uh, you know, tell me about your DJing. Oh, yeah, you know, I, I'm from the UK. I came up, you know, I really idolized the Sasha and Digweed kind of. Right. Stuff. So he's like somebody you relate to if he's saying yeah. that. Yeah. And I was like, oh, yeah, you know, what is And he's like, yeah, I did a lot of remixes. He's like, but I just could never break out as a, as a producer. I mean, sorry, as a DJ. So I started doing more remixes and producing, and I, and I, stupidly because i had no idea who i was talking to <laughs> go oh really would i know anybody that you've produced and he's like well yeah you know like I'm, last year i produced the adele album <laughs> 21 and i was like oh this is paul <laughs> epworth by the way oh wow <laughs> but that a and r angle of like you have the ear the lesson for me in that moment was you know, you these guys as DJs, you get trained to have the ear for what the crowd's gonna like. Whether you make it as a as a performer is totally different, but you understand what you have and how and who what an audience could be for that song. If you understand that exchange, oh, then you then you are you have a huge advantage. I've met so many producers over the last ten years that segued into that were DJs that segued. I mean, like really big guys that I'm like. Whoa, wait, what? You DJed? You were cruising around? You were DJing for? I mean, you know, Benny Blanco, like all these guys, dude, they were in, hustling in on the scene. And just what you, they're like, I have the ear, I know how to make the music. Like, cool, here's some girl who can really sing. Dude, it's like such an easier path for some of these guys to just do that. Right. Because they already have well, Benny, all the pieces. Benny is a great example. Um, I don't know. I, I just thought <clears throat> meeting Paul Epward was a really grounding moment for me because he was, I mean, it was almost like, he was heartbroken that he didn't make it as a DJ. Like he was very serious. Like I put my heart into it. Dude. I played for all those crappy shows. And oh, then like, man. it was like, I mean, the dude won producer of the year. I know it's album. like grass is always greener type of a uh, thing. Probably. One, dude, I've had meetings with guys that are like on top of the world as producers and like, Hey man, you think you could help me get into this? And I'm like, Are you seriously asking me that? <laughs> you want me to get into that? Like yeah. maybe I take a couple years off and just like 
produce, I don't know, whoever's next album. Yeah. In right. Some massive top 40 act. I mean, dude, and I've had a couple of these guys come out and open for me just for the heck of it because they want to, like, play the records that they made in front of a crowd that's more accepting. And, like, there's been some cool moments like that over the, over right. the years. But it is fascinating. It's, like, one of the grasses greener for sure. I think, yeah. I think that's, the, that's the, yeah. Yeah, and DJs have that advantage in the same way you said. You're able to road test all your tracks and oh, know, man. and it gives you this insight into crowd psychology and what's going to work and what's not going to work that yep. they don't have access to. They're still in their studio like, does this sound good? You know, and sending it out and you're going out like, here we go. That didn't work or that did work. So I think they see that. But yeah, I know somebody that was a DJ ended up becoming this big TV producer. He has all these shows. He has so many shows signed, different networks doing so much stuff, hitting me up. Can I come DJ? Can I open for you in Vegas? I'm like, you don't want to. Trust me. Yes, I do. Please. Can I do this show? I'm like, this. I'm doing this for money. This one's not even fun. You know what I mean? I want to do what you're doing. I want to run your show. You know, oh, but man. they, yeah, they, they I'll tell you what the, the dead mouse kept saying. What's the takeaway from that or whatever? I said, whatever. Listen, I've had a really good life, and we are extremely fortunate to be able to do what we do, man. There's not yeah. a day that goes by that I don't, like, say thank you. This is amazing. Like, the way it happened, my story, and just everything about it. I wouldn't... All that grinding <laughs> in the beginning, like, whatever, man, it all came together. Like, unbelievable. Yeah, but talent, talent attracts Incredible. talent. And right. there's always this, you know... I, people will come up to me and, and say the similar things like, Oh man, you've been so lucky in your career. And it's, I try not to be offended by that because, you know, of course there's some level of luck in all of this, but it's also, there's a, there's a humility in being prepared for those moments. <laughs> you got the show, you were actually prepared and you killed it. So yeah, maybe there was some luck, somewhere in there but it's really about showing up and delivering in those moments that matter so yeah no big, i'm not yeah. big athletes are like that you know and dude i'm not a big believer in luck you're right you have to be prepared for that moment and put in the yeah. work for 100 for me it's more about fate creating your own fate like okay cool dude i skunked it many times dude i got a visa stories for days dude me going over there in america and when it had been taken over by europe I just straight up stunk it up, dude. Right before Calvin Harris one time, the dude was just like, yeah, I'm sorry, man. Like straight up, like it was known. I just killed the room. Like oh this my happened God. multiple times in my career. Like, But whatever, live and but learn. That's when I needed I mean, to smash it, I, need, I smashed it. You know what I'm saying? Like, yes. Yeah. <laughs> no, I like that. I mean, that's a nice place. That's a nice place to end because like that coming full circle of the gratitude. I'm sure if Joel was on here, he would feel the same way. I mean, I, I feel extremely grateful to have been friends with you over all these years, but, but more than anything is just what music's brought to my life personally. Um, and it's given me this platform, you know, in, in its own way, uh, to express all my creativity. Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I think we all end up at a place at the end of these things where we step back and like, yeah. It's pretty cool. <laughs> it's crazy, dude. I mean, whatever. It's crazy that I've known you for 20 years and that whatever, I saw freaking spiders first gig in Miami. I mean, yeah. all these stories kind of intersect. It's pretty B-port. fascinating, man. The yeah, B- The B-port incredible. thing, I mean, quite honestly, was it was never supposed to be what it is today. It was just a proof. Could we do it? And then it, and then it became like, hey, I knew at that point I wasn't going to be 
you know, at that moment, it was more about like Paul Van Dyke and Tiesto, and and I knew that I didn't have that, uh, or I didn't feel like I had that, but I knew that I could contribute in my you mean, own as way. a producer. Yeah, or as a performer, like I just like there's a star power that comes with with those things, and I don't think I've ever had that. But I actually had something else to bring. I could bring these ideas, and we could make this work. And so I felt like this is the way I could contribute was through, you know, bringing something like Beatport to Dude, life. Dude, it was a or- freaking brilliant idea. Oh yeah, at the right place at the right time with the people that could you dude you could execute. I've never remember go, I, dude. I'm going out to dinner with you and you're pitching me on this idea and you're sending me the deck and I'm like, I think this is gonna work, man. I think this is gonna like I, I think this is freaking genius, you know. <laughs> it was a uh, you know, and that's pre iTunes, everyone. Like oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, it was pre iTunes. This was not a proven concept. Right. By any means, like, we're going to sell an MP3 of a song. I mean, dude, back then, it's like, if you weren't playing vinyl, you But it was exactly it. what you said. Everybody yeah. wanted to be on digital, but the, to be on digital, they had to record their vinyl. Right. And so we were like, that, that was actually the first idea for Beatport. Uh, we, <laughs> obviously, we didn't go down that route, but we you thought- You guys we, were going to rip stuff and then just, yeah. like, get it to people? <laughs> yeah, we thought, send us your record collection, and we'll record it, and then we'll send you back the MP3s. And then oh we had God. this- I mean, that was like a few hours of a day. Right. Then you're like, okay, wait. And they were like, but wait, this all starts digitally. Why wouldn't we just get it? Like, who cares about the record part? Let's just go to the label. Get it from and get the it. freaking labels. Yeah, just get, get it, it from digitally. artists. Yeah. And then nobody would give it to us. Um, it was just because Napster was ripping everybody off at that point. And it's long story. I mean, fast forward to today. And it, I think it's become this connecting point between all of these universes. And they all kind of work now. And yeah. And it's an ecosystem, you know? And then we spin up BeatSource. It took a couple tries, but I think we got it right now. And it's working really good, and people are really appreciating it. Now the world's transitioning into streaming uh, in the DJ booth. That, you know, we're probably still like five years until that's really comfortable from an infrastructure point of view. I mean, we struggled with internet today. Yeah, but we made it work. Like the phone tethered. I did a gig Sunday. I can't believe that. that I I can't believe it either. But... uh, (laughs) But I did a gig Sunday, and I it was like I they, I had to have some music that I really didn't have, and I tethered my phone, and I did Beat Source almost the whole time. So it actually no way, yeah, and I didn't have anything you know that much stuff downloaded. Um, so yeah, I mean I think it's the beginning of it, you know. It, but it works. It works, and, and and also like I was DJing Friday night at this kind of exclusive spot, and. They were like, we want more Afro beats and all this stuff. And I'm like, I only have a certain amount of stuff and certain right. amount of knowledge. But there's this guy, D. James, in London who's like going to Nigeria now. And he's so tapped in and he knows everything makes these playlists. So I'm like, thank you, James. Boom. Let me mm, click let in me there. Just get in here. I'm listening to my headphones. <laughs> oh, this kind of works. This is, oh, okay. Same key. Oh, cool drum pattern. You know, and people look at me, how do you know this? You know, I'm like, I just know it you know because <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a genius <laughs> <laughs> but yeah i mean it's uh i think you know yeah with this link technology and and beatport um going into it i think you know i mean it's not about it, I'm, I'm trying to t- turn this into a beatport conversation it's just more about that you've been around long enough you started your career on turntables and we all you know if you came from that generation it was really actually quite hard to learn how to beat match um, oh yeah. The worst things that would happen when you were DJing was like, um, you know, the turntables would get bumped or a piece of dust would fall and the record would skip a bunch. Um, you know, you just, you survived by just keeping going. Then it transitioned a little bit into digital. Then CDJs, 
started to show up the little ones and then CDs. And I remember watching DJs and that was very curious to me. And then Richie Houghton shows up with a laptop running right. these early versions of, I forget what it was called. There's weird ass software. He yeah. Had. It was pre-tracks it was or before, whatever. Well, it was before final scratch. Even there was another one and I can't remember, but it was like out there. Yeah. You know? Oh man. He was making yeah. it work and time it was coded like, like super cool. The? Yeah. And, and I feel grateful to have watched all those evolutions, you know, and so I, I see like the controller culture now, um, mm-hmm. and I wasn't a big fan of it. And then you see someone like James Hype get up there, and he's just like ripping it up on this thing, and you're like, yeah. all right, you know, it's just, uh, it's just your craft. Learn your tools, <laughs> know your stuff, and I mean that guy made a name for himself. I mean he was obviously very talented already. Yeah. Just that endurance, like Twitch stream, Twitch stream, <laughs> Twitch stream, Twitch stream, dude. It's amazing. Now look where he's at. It's just cool to see these guys break out from social media. He's one of them that, like, yeah, dude, I don't know. A year ago, I didn't know who he was. Yeah, I think know? Fred again is another one who's I'm like, having a moment. At thing. I'm like, holy America, crap. Yeah. A million people are watching this. This is nuts, you know? Like, right. Then it's like, I should check out his records. I check out, wow, this is cool. I can use this. Yeah, you know, anyway. Yeah. Crazy how it goes. Yeah. yeah. And it always evolves. Like you said, Fred again, like nobody would think that style of something would be working right now, you know? And then. Dude, six months I had, uh, since I'm like, oh, I didn't know who he was. You know? Right. And then, like, I went I to his show video. in Denver and his finale, I don't think there was a dry eye in the room. The, the, he was like, the way he touched the crowd and the way That's he how spoke. I discovered him too. I DJ, I DJ'd a wedding <laughs> last summer and they were like, we're, you know, we want you to do the end of the wedding. We have a band. So we're going to play 30 minutes at the traditional wedding. Then we're going to pop into a bus and we're going to go into the jungle. We're in Mexico and you're going to DJ four hours of like deep house and like all this stuff. And I'm like, all right. So I had to really like learn and figure Fred. out what I was going to do. And they're like, we need this Fred again song. Uh, and it was like, you know, put my love in arms around you. Yeah. It was like that one. And I was Which like, just a bootleg. And I got it. I'm like, this song is amazing. But I remember playing it and it like created this insane emotional moment yeah. among everybody. That's and the last song now I, I can't even hear that song the same because it sounds so like emotional every time I hear it. It's like this. So at the club, did he just, he played, he ended on one of these big emo songs and people just like tripping. They're just yeah, like, it was ah. unbelievable. but he's like sampling the internet and stuff, right? Oh, he, like samples his his, he samples his whole life. He just walks around with his phone on. Right. And then he makes it part of his show. All of the samples that you hear in his tracks is just, is just stuff that he recorded on his phone. That's crazy. And Are you guys getting an alert right now? Yeah. We're all, first, first, the power goes out on the podcast, and we're having a flash flood now. Warning. We're saying flash flood warning in this area. Do not attempt to travel unless you're fleeing an area. I'm sending, this, subject to, I'm to sending this to Joel right now. Yeah. <laughs> Yo. You're a freaking studio. You can't even. <laughs> I've also never had this in LA. Oh like, my god! You can't god. even get internet. I'm like, I, I, we can't get internet. We're underwater. We're in a submarine at this point. Um. Well, before we get washed away, I guess we could wrap it up. Yeah, this is awesome. Thanks, man. Oh, man, it was so awesome uh, being able to talk to you and Joel together and then, you know, you solo towards the end. And, I mean, we hit on so many points. And I think it's just really cool how, you know, I think people can learn from all this stuff and just take take away so many different lessons from it, you know, and know that as big or as small as anybody is, you know, you're the master of your own destiny. And it and you know, you're going to build your own value and you're going to 
as much as you put in, you're going to get out. So, and you guys have proved that, you know. Amen. And then when we see you at the L.A. Coliseum on December 10th. Yeah, come on out. <laughs> it's going to be a big one. Man, gonna we're going to be huge. going all in on that sucker. <laughs> oh, my God. It's going to be amazing, I'm sure. Not Do you guys have anything planned after that? Is that the, the first big? Uh, we announced we're playing at uh, Ultra. Okay. But it's kind of like we're trying to figure out the rhythm because it's so doing these shows is it's a lot. I'm sure. It's, it's a lot. Is it K5 or KX5? <laughs> I'm struggling. I think in the beginning I was calling it K5 because that's what we wanted, but yeah. there's already a K5 out there. So we're like, oh, we'll just stick an X in between, right? Oh. Which makes sense. fine. And we were calling it K5, but then everyone, every time we'd go to do press, like 90% of the people would say KX5 or weirder stuff. I'm like, like come on, man. What, what's the weirder stuff? <laughs> anyway, but yeah, a lot of people call it KX5. To me, I'm like, I don't care what anybody calls it as long as they are listening, you know, which so far they are. Escape has done awesome. And um, I mean, I don't know. I'm super proud of the music we've been putting out, so. It's incredible. It, it definitely, you guys have a magical thing where you can create these songs that, like I was saying before, just touch people inside and like create these moments and memories for them, I think. Hopefully. I mean, that's what we're trying to do, right? Like, not easy. <laughs> I think it, that was part of the thing of not getting together. That would have been a good question for him, but we'll wrap on this. I'm just saying, I remember it's such a freaking tune. Yeah. How do you follow that up? It took us 15 years to be like, eh, maybe we can put something out. Almost like hoping that people had forgotten about it. They haven't. I mean, I don't know. Zed still plays it on his closing track every once in a while on his sets. And I see, you know, people post it. And I'm like, here it is 15 years later. And it's still pretty relevant, you know, as it was when we put it out. But um, so there's a lot of, that was a lot of pressure. And I think Joel, both and I, both of us were like, uh, maybe we just like leave it. Just let that just be, you know? Right. Um, well, I'm sure it's hard to stay authentic and know exactly what you yourself want when you know everyone's staring at you and thinking something and trying to project something onto you. Yeah, and I mean, and, and the fact that there's two of us and we both have incredibly successful careers yeah. on our own, it makes it very difficult just even to do stuff like this, dude. When we do press around the stuff, it's like, right, you know. He's doing stuff and working on music and I'm doing stuff and working on music and I'm going to a show on Thursday. He's doing, a sh you know, it's just like, it's not, it's not easy. So, yeah. yeah. Well, we'll see what happens in the future. You we'll know? See what happens. We've got those two commitments in front of us and we're right. going to, we're going to smash it. We're both super invested in making the show awesome. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, both of you, just your single shows are amazing. So together, I know it's going to be amazing. Well, thank you guys for taking the time to yeah, come together and do it. it. Thank awesome. you for taking the time to be on the podcast and yeah, uh, letting us into your studio. And hopefully yeah. we don't have to take a boat out of here. Yeah. We survived the power outage. Yeah. It. And a we flood survived warning. no internet. <laughs> Somehow made that work. And thank you, phone. <laughs> All right. Thank All right. you. Peace. Woo. That was intense. That was amazing. That was life-changing baby massive thank you to kx5 aka dead mouse and cascade as well as jonas temple for coming on the show sharing that much time and that much information with us it was absolutely incredible so thank you guys and thank you all 
the Beat Sorcerers, for tuning in and listening week after week. We will be back with more episodes. The 20 Podcast is produced by Beat Source. Join us next week for more interviews as we discuss music that matters to DJs. I'm DJ Spider signing off. Peace. And that was The 20 with DJ Spider.